Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. Alongside me here, we got Freddy. What's up? Also known as Nighty Knight, who will also be hosting this show tonight. I'm just going to finish this up. On the other end, we got David. Spoopy boys, it's showtime. It's showtime. <laughs> Also known as Nightly, we are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question, why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife, and that's night with a what? K. K. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world now not gonna say the future film because i'm not hosting this this is actually going to be my boy freddy here also known as 99 it's going to be his practice episode he's actually going to go through a few practice episodes because i'm having a baby not me physically (laughs) thank you thank you thank you thank you um (laughs) but yes i'm having a child at the end of this month initially probably while this episode comes out my baby will probably be born um but just a little heads up on that but yes i am having a child but freddie is going to be practicing a little bit here since we record these in so much in advance he's going to practice for about four episodes or so until he takes over the whole enchilada and I'm actually going to be on paternity leave. So I'm not going to be on the show for about a month after those four episodes are released. Um, but I will be back. Don't worry. I will be back. Um, we'll see how tired I am. Uh, I'll probably be very tired. <laughs> so Freddie might still be hosting. Probably. But <laughs> we'll see. Um, but yeah, Freddie, take over, my friend. The floor is yours. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And then for all of you guys listening, please feel free to give me feedback. I'd love to hear from you guys. Uh, I just want to thank you guys for the opportunity. And the movie that we're going to discuss today is Beetlejuice. This is directed Ooh. by Tim Burton, released in March 30th, 1988, of a runtime of one hour, 32 minutes, budget of $15 million, and a box office score of $74 million. And a score I want in Tomatoes Ooh, at damn. 84%. But, of course, first but foremost, thoughts. Oh my god. (laughs) David, you go. You go. Yeah. We first of all I want to say I was really surprised to see how high it was on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, Sure. Yeah. But um I actually watched this movie a ton in my early childhood and I never realized how raunchy it was. Yes, (laughs) I agree. Watch it now and just be like, oh damn, why was I watching this as a kid? And I watched Mm -hmm. it a ton. But it must have been in pretty early childhood because I don't remember a lot of it and watching it, it was as if I was watching it for the first time. But there were moments where I had thought to myself, this is the scene I always think of when I think of this movie, right? Um, I never realized it was a Tim Burton movie either. Go figure. (laughs) Um, But, (laughs) you know, I was actually really, really excited to watch this because Mm -hmm. for this entire year, um, Bella and I have been obsessed with Beetlejuice the Musical. So it's so cool. Uh, cause we literally listened to that, man, almost half of each month of the year has been spent mm-hmm. listening to that soundtrack. So it was so cool to go back and see the original rendition of like 
what Beetlejuice is and just like comparing it and also, you know, seeing where it has evolved because it's been really big in Broadway, you know, earlier this year and the end, I think, of 2019. So it made it even more exciting to go back and watch it. But yeah, I had fun watching this movie. Uh, It goes a lot faster than I remember. Oh, this movie's quick. Yeah. So this is a quick movie for sure. And I like that you even brought up the Broadway because I love it. I love the Broadway. It just ended. They didn't have enough funding to keep it going. Um, Obviously, based off of COVID as well. So they ended even sooner. It was supposed to end in January, I think, um, of 2021. But yeah, I absolutely fucking adore this movie. This movie has been a huge staple in the Jackson household by me and my brother for years and years to come. I've always have watched this movie faithfully. I don't know why. It's just it's always been a faithful thing for me to watch. But I adore it. And honestly, I really, really like um, the characters in this movie a lot. I've always thought Beetlejuice was a dick. And I'm yeah. glad that I've always thought that because he is a dick. But um, it's definitely not my favorite Tim Burton movie. That's for sure. But I do really enjoy this movie a lot. And I know a lot of like my emo vibes and all that shit came from this movie. <laughs> but this movie actually talks about a, a lot of really interesting concepts in a, a delightful way, in a way. But one of the things is death. Right. Yeah. Death is always Mm -hmm. kind of that thing that uh, us as humans find either hard to talk about or we shouldn't talk about it or things like that when it's always on the news and uh, it's in the media and so on and so forth. But this really kind of harkens on the fact that like death is inevitable. It's going to happen. We don't know how it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. And this kind of gives you a sense, especially as a kid, um, gives you a sense like, um, like, okay, it might not be something to be afraid of uh, when my time comes or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Um, Which is fucked up and morbid as shit to think about. But this is Little Nightmares Month. So, you know, this is all we talk about is fucked up and shit. (laughs) So, uh, but that's one thing that I really has always stuck with me is that this talks about... um, death in such a, a a delightful way not romanticizing death which is good it shouldn't romanticize death not something like 13 reasons why did right um when that romanticized suicide but this really kind of tickles the feathers of death where um it, it kind of gives you a sense like there is some type of life after death or whatever kind of thing life does go on unless you're exercised right but um i really that's always stuck with me uh is the fact that they have taken death as a topic and literally that's the whole movie the whole movie is talking about death and how death is something that is categorized or um maybe it's maybe some people take it a little easier than others and things like that, especially like when um, I want to say her name is Delia. When, when she comes to the house for the first time and she was like kind of mocking how these people died, where it's just like uh, uh, saying like, I'm going to come in there and hang you with the, the ropes that you hung yourself and stuff like right. that. So it's like things like that, that are really hard to stomach, especially nowadays. Cause in the 1980s, 
Sure, yeah, these are jokes that probably could fly like nothing, but now these are these are jokes that are a little bit harder to stomach. Like you 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 kind of you watch this and if you're watching it, let's say you haven't seen it in a while, and maybe you're watching with a friend who's seen it for the first time. Those are those types of jokes that kind of make you you sweat. We're just like, "Oh shit." Like, ugh, I forgot that 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 joke could be pretty sensitive for some people. So it's it's a very interesting movie to watch nowadays. I personally do not think this movie holds up um, with the jokes and with the times and things like that. Um, I still love this movie and this movie holds up, holds up for me personally. But uh, if I were to show this to a, a, a newer person or, or a person who's never seen this movie before, which that feels impossible to me, but a person who's never seen this movie, I don't think I would just because I know for a fact these jokes can be hurtful and because there's not just the jokes about death that tread on it not so lightly but it's also the sexual jokes yeah. as well yeah completely agree. where I, I definitely I definitely want to follow up with that Prince because mm-hmm. as I think it also comes down to when when we all watch this right and Freddie I, I'm not sure if you had watched it as a child but I think there's the innocence of a child and that lens that you look through it um yep. because me as a young child watching this movie I didn't realize all those um hard remarks about oh yeah stuff like that right but like hard remarks not, about death. not prostitutes excuse me sex workers my apologies everyone yeah um and there are moments in this where looking at it through the lens as an adult, it, it hits me a lot harder. You know, death as a child is something that is harder to grasp because you haven't really experienced death for the most part. There are some children mm-hmm. that at a young age, unfortunately, do experience the hardships of, you know, having a loved one passed away or whatever it may be. But there are moments yeah. in this film where uh, lines are said that hit me really hard. And I feel like I've been saying this a lot in the last couple episodes, but it, uh, again, like previous episodes I've said before, I've had moments where I choked up. There was mm. one simple line where Lydia states, I don't want to live anymore or I don't want to be alive anymore. And yeah, when she was writing child, her letter. Well, actually, this is when she was talking to Barb and Adam. Oh, and right. Upstairs. When she wanted to be with them. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, I just want to be with you guys. I don't want to be alive mm-hmm. anymore. And that yeah. hit me so hard, man. It hit me in the yeah. chest and I had to hold back the tears. And it's mm-hmm. so weird because I did not think Beetlejuice would get me to that level, right? And even <laughs> with the context of the musical and how... And they they mention it in the movie as well. But Adam and Barbara are... They love their home. They love being married to each other. They love this sanctuary that they built and they continue to build for themselves. And one little accident takes that all away from them. And then Mm -hmm. they have to be faced with the reality that their home will live on without them and go through changes. Something about that is hard for me to stomach as an adult too. Um, Mm -hmm. There's aspects of those that I think are good to watch in this film because it gets to the point where, and we'll talk about it in the film, but Lydia gets to the point where she seems happy with life, that she right. isn't hurt and wants to end things. And she finds a, a better living situation, right? And also, same with Adam and Barbara, even though they've, they've moved on past life, they find a happy medium. Um, but talking about this movie 
aging poorly. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Prince. Um, a lot of the jokes, a lot of the the pervy demeanor from Beetlejuice, it's, mm-hmm. it makes me uncomfortable to watch, um, yep. like how he acts when he meets Barbara. Um, but I think if if people are interested in the story of Beetlejuice uh, and are willing to take this path or maybe have not had any experience in theater, I highly recommend listening to the Broadway original soundtrack, trying to find some bootleg YouTube videos of some performances. <laughs> There's some official YouTube videos of some performances. Man, the cast in there is awesome. The Beetlejuice in the musical is actually my favorite character because that role is transformed. And it's it's so comedic and uh, lively. And yeah, it's Adam modernized. And hilarious. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great alternative for those that right. want to know the Beetlejuice story in a modern take. Um, right. But yeah, it, this it, movie it is a bit more it, it's a bit more sensitive to the exactly. times. Even even though he still is very flamboyant, um, it is it is definitely a bit more sensitive, and it, it is a lot less pervy. <laughs> exactly, well. definitely. Um, but you know, with this movie, um, there are some cool moments in it. You see that that Tim Burton charm of like these creatures and how they're designed, and and through a um, a reality of film, how they're portrayed on screen. That's really cool to watch, right? And it very much feels like a 80s movie for kids, though. It's something that you you have on, and it's not really going to provoke that much thought, even though they do tackle serious subject matter. Um, you can tell this is very much a... I mean, it's a horror movie for kids, but it also kind of pushes the line, Um and I think it's because it was trying to, it was attempted to be made for all ages and not directly for children. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think overall it's it's cool to come back to and go through again as an adult when I don't even remember watching it as a kid, but I know I watched it plenty of times. Um, and yeah. shout out to the Beetlejuice animation cartoon. That was fun to watch oh, yeah. back then too. Big shouts. Big oh, yeah, shouts. I forgot that existed. That's crazy. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah I'm I on didn't. the same page as both of you guys. I mean, this movie is very enjoyable. It has a really iconic parts in the movie where you're like, wow, that's really cool. Creature design. That was a really good scene. Uh, of course, the song and the dinner scene is always iconic as well. Uh, <laughs> so good. I do agree. The movie doesn't hold up with its jokes. But at the same time, they do tackle those t- like those tough talks too about like death and stuff like that. And oh, about yeah. suicide. And then... Even a little bit of drug mm-hmm. use in the movie, which I didn't even catch the very few times I've seen this movie in the past about the mom mm-hmm. and how like she yep. doesn't get scared oh, yeah, because she's right. like gone, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely a lot of adult themes, so adults can definitely get something out of this and so can kids. And this is still a kid's horror movie, but I agree with Prince. If someone was watching this for the first time now, I think it's a little too edgy and the jokes definitely don't hold up. But at the same time, right. this is a good movie to come back to as an adult after seeing it as a kid. Because like you said, David, we see this at a different lens. We see this in a different point of view. We understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. And when I was like writing all these notes, I picked up on every single little detail at this point where I was like, oh, this is very interesting. I've never really seen it in this way until I did this. But overall, I enjoyed myself. It was a good movie. I do agree it's not the best Tim Burton movie out there. But I do say if you have seen it, you should rewatch it. 
And then, yeah, I'm very open Definitely. to watching yeah. the musical as well, I because that seems that. like a better take for now. Yeah. You know, and for those, I mean, theaters, um, it's hard to access because, you know, not every show has, uh, you know, a production level of a pre-recorded performance like Hamilton that just came out on Disney Plus. But um, I highly encourage people hop on your music streaming service if you have one and look up Beetlejuice musical and just listen through it in order and try to envision the story. Um, that is how a lot of people experience theater before they get to actually go and see a show or maybe never get to. I I haven't always been a theater fan. I've actually got into theater within the last two years, like by a lot. And that's thanks to Bella. Um, but man, there, there's something special about listening through the story because the way it tackles the subject matter, it does it very elegantly and it mm-hmm. really invokes raw emotion and the music's just fucking awesome. Like it's killer. You got some yeah. like, some like rock in there. It's, it, yeah, it's, 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 it's really good. And it's funny. It's funny to listen to. Like super you, funny. Freddie, you brought up the Deo scene. Oh yeah, man, that in the musical oh, is man. great. Yeah, it's, it's done so well in the musical. Yeah. Oh, so well. But it's it's yeah. even that same thing with like Nightmare Before Christmas because like that movie. I don't have to watch that movie. I could just listen to all of the songs and I can see the movie in my head. Yeah, and I agree. It just it works perfectly like that. And it's same concept of what David said. It's that theater aspect. But I don't want us to, to spend too much time on that. Freddie, what, what, sure. what we got, brother? Okay, let's jump right into it. So we open to the title card cards in this beautiful ghostly text. The camera is panning downward to a wooded area and slowly reveals a small town. Camera continues to move overhead the town until it reveals the main house. As we get closer at the house, we see that it's transitioned into a model house rather than a real house. A spider starts... How fucking cool is that? It's such a good transition. Yeah. That's actually something I never caught ever before. I was like, oh, damn. Why did I never know that? And maybe it's because I was watching it on a CRTV back in the day, but I was like, that's cool. I, I, I thought that was so legit. And just the way that that transition flows into that, I was like, this is fucking... Come on. Come on. God damn it's smart it. filmmaking. Uh, it's yeah, so yeah. good. Actually, a lot of the transitions in this movie is very smart. Are s- very, very smart. Absolutely. I agree. Cool. So uh, a spider starts to move on top of the house that solidifies that the house are, that we were seeing is for sure a model of the house. We see a hand appear in the frame with a hand open allowing the spider to be grabbed. We get our first character, Adam, played by Alec Baldwin, inspecting the spider in awe. By the way, I was surprised that that was Alec Baldwin. And then when I looked that up, I was like, he looked, he looked fucking young. good, dog. He looked, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, he looked good. Like, I was even telling Kathleen, because um, I, I was talking to her, because actually her first time watching Beetlejuice was maybe a year or two ago. Um, and that's when I said, like, you would kind of sweat, because it was jokes like that where I was like, ooh, I'm kind of sweating. Um, but, yeah, I completely agree. Alec Baldwin, I was like, Dude. damn. Bro's looking like a snack, dog. Like <laughs> I didn't recognize him. He, he looks really I young. I didn't recognize him, and I was like, okay, he looks sure. real good. Uh, he looks really, really good. Amazed by its size, he brings the spider towards the window and tosses it out. And that's kind of funny too, how he just tosses it. But yeah, um, he walks back <laughs> to the room, and we see that he's built the entire replica of the entire town on the desk. Uh, peeking in from the wall, 
we are introduced to our next main character, Barbara, played by Gina Davis. She runs up behind him, smiling, and says that the model looks good. We also see that she has a present behind her back. She reveals the gift to Adam and says, Happy vacation, hun." He opens it and it revealing uh, it's a Manchurian tongue oil. Uh, he expresses that mm-hmm. it's enough for the whole entire table. He slowly raises his hands and grabs a hidden gift out of shot and reveals it to Barbara. She's happy he got it, and he expresses that it's enough for the entire guest room. So it's the wallpaper. She expresses that she's so happy to be on vacation and having that vacation at home. Uh, she starts to get ready to get started on her project, and he pulls her, stopping her, and brings her to the couch for a kiss. The phone starts ringing. She says she'll get it, and he gestures her to be her guest. As she tries to get up, she gets pulled back to the couch for another kiss. Phone continues. I fucking love this. It's so cute. It's adorable because they're getting I their... I love this. They're getting their interactions with one another. You're seeing how they treat each other, which is fantastic. Right. Yeah, and you very see playful. how much they love each other. Exactly. And like, I... Like it was, it was me. Like every time this scene pops up, it always makes me look at my wife because I just always think like, like, fuck, this is, this is like, honestly, it's weird to say this and this is mushy, but this is how marriage is. Like when you truly love someone, like this is how it feels like. And it was, it's so, so comforting to see that in a film like this. And especially for a child. Right. Where you're you're seeing things like like, oh, wow, like they you could tell like as a child, like they really like each other or whatever. And I absolutely adore when they have this playfulness towards each other. I absolutely love it. I love it so much. They're so you can tell that they're very happy with each other too, surprising each other with like a gift at the same time, uh, that playful moment. And you'll see even more playful stuff later on. But you can tell that they're living life and loving that they're together and stuff like that, which I really do Absolutely. appreciate. Absolutely. Um, hey, David. Dave's back. Welcome back. Yeah, it's David here. <laughs> Prince, I love, I love that you said that. Thanks, guys. Uh, sorry, I had to, you know, <laughs> tried Don't say me that down name three times. Hell, and I was like, bro, I'm doing your episode right now. Right? So, um, Prince, I love that you said that about Adam and Barbara because um, – with Bella and I, we always, as we listen to the musical, mm-hmm. there's a lot of Adam and Barbara songs and we <laughs> always say, this is us, right? And we do their parts and it's, yeah, it's so charming, their 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 marriage. It's so sweet. Um, so I wanted to add in there, it's it's just so, for sure. it makes you care for these characters right off the bat because like we said earlier, this movie goes by really quickly yeah. and we have to have a reason to care about these Absolutely. characters dying. And uh, it builds up that, moment of damn they don't deserve this um so i think the intro to them perfect right it just shows how like that cute they are it does give us a purpose of caring for them right off the bat Mm -hmm. yeah uh the phone continues to ring and she says maybe you should get it he tries to get up and then she pulls him back and starts kissing them again before they're able to continue kissing each other they are interrupted by a honk they both get up this time and go towards the window They see a lady that has driven up and parked her car and is going towards the house. It's Jane. Adam says, it's your turn, honey. They both start running downstairs very gleefully. Adam wishes her good luck as he diverts himself to the basement. She heads to the door and opens the window blind, revealing that Jane's already at the door. She says hello to Barbara and that she's happy that she caught her and she's heard that she was on vacation. Jane starts to talk about that she's $260,000 and Barbara says, 
it's 6.45. Honestly, that's pretty early for me. So I was like kind of surprised it was 6.45 that they were already awake. <laughs> It was it, it, on top of that. It was like still daylight, like super know, right. daylight. I was like, yeah, it, it must like, be summertime. Like, granted, I guess. right? Like it's like you know, you know, summertime. It makes sense because they were going on vacation and all this other stuff, right? Sure, or they were on vacation, quote unquote. Um, but I just thought that was always so funny. Where it's just like six forty-five, and it's just like it's it looks like it's blazing outside already. Right, it's just like, a random damn. time too. It's very specific. Yo, <laughs> so random. when. When they said six forty-five in the morning, I was like, "Damn, I gotta get my life together." And we God sleep at damn, 6 David! Last night. Right? He's already working on his project. He's probably been working on it for a couple hours already. Oh my God! Uh, <laughs> please get some sleep, boy. Jane continues to say the offer is real, and it's from a guy from New York who saw nothing but a photograph. Barbara asks her to not send photos of her house to people. Jane expresses, so. "Yeah, no, for real." Uh, Jane expresses that he wants. Uh, she wants to bring a family uh, for some peace and, or no, he wants to bring his family for some peace and quiet at that house. Barbara responds, that's exactly what we want. Jane, being very cruel, said the house is too big and it should be for a couple with a family. We get a cut this to big. Barbara's face of <laughs> sadness. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, obviously, this part hit really hard for me. For sure. Mainly yeah. based off of the fact that we probably that this is silent, right? But it's probably because Barbara can't have kids, and yeah. that that really hit home for me um, because of like my experience with trying to have a child. And um, luckily, obviously, we we made it. Where I'll, I'll be gone soon. But <laughs> it, with with that particular scene, <laughs> that that's the type of scene that always makes me kind of tear up because it reminds me of like the beginning of Up. Yes, and yeah. like it gives me that sense where it's just like fuck. Like you can tell they want more people. That's why they had this house because they want to have kids yeah, and they want trying. a family. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And and that's why they were so um enamored by Lydia. And it and I absolutely love their relationship with Lydia and how she first sees them and things like that, but we'll get to that. <laughs> so yeah, we get a cut to Barbara's face of sadness and Jane almost immediately regrets it. She then just says that the house is too big. Barb starts to bring her back outside and says that she'll see her in two weeks and closes the door on her. We cut back to Adam working downstairs. <laughs> He then starts to play some music on a cassette player. We get a quick cut back to Barb doing some chores in the sink. Then back with Adam downstairs with him opening the window and Jane is there and screams boo. We get a great cut to Adam's face in total surprise. She starts talking to him about the offer. Before she continues, he says, no, Jane, and closes the blinds to the window. Great scene. <laughs> Uh, I love it. And I love how like it silenced her too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like she was just mid-sentence and then just shut the blind. Quiet. It's perfect. Dead quiet. It's so good. Yeah. But it's also very oh, like, sure. witty 80s humor, it's right? So like you just open the window and it's like, she's there. Yeah. Always. She's but everywhere. It's, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, <laughs> Seriously, come Especially on, after girl, that comment, you should just leave. I mean, just saying. I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he quickly goes back to what he was doing and shuts off the music. He yells up to Barbara to come to the store with him. He says that he needs to get a new brush and needs to get another part for his model. She expresses that he should just run in. We cut to them going outside. We see the couple run down the side of the stairs and go into the car. They seem very happy and very gleeful as they get in. 
Autumn begins to say, two weeks from home, the perfect vacation. Barb starts to say that Jane says that they should sell the house to a family. Autumn then states that it's none of her business. And I just put it here, he right. Uh, yeah, real talk. It's their house. Exactly. Right? Like, it's their life. <laughs> they, they shouldn't have to be forced to sell their house. Yeah. And like, that's, that. I think that was where, because to me, you know, I don't know if you guys have been seeing those things on Twitter. Um, I guess this is about a month or so ago. I'm sure the trend died. But it was like the villain and then the, the true real villain. villain. Yeah. So to me, Jane was the fucking villain here, <laughs> not Beetlejuice. Like, That's Jane yeah. is so intrusive, so aggressive. Yeah. Because, like, obviously she wants money. Right. So like she's just like, I'm going I'm to get a piece of this. Like people won't want to buy this house and not only just anybody rich people want to buy this house so it's like those types of things where it's just like gosh she's a fucking dog right. she's a dog oh that's a good point and that's a big thing yeah. in this yep, movie yep. too really greed has a big part of this movie and like people's oh, motives yeah. and characters and what they're driven for but yeah we'll- and i love how they they the uh maitlands have such a very quaint lifestyle where it's just like we're happy. We have our hardware store. It's literally right down the street from our house. Um, if we don't run, almost run into a dog. Um, <laughs> but it's it's all those types of <laughs> things that you kind of see and recognize where you'll be able to just see how how comfortable they are. Yeah. And I feel like that's a sense of where everyone's trying to be there. Everyone's just trying to be comfortable and whatever comfortable means to them, like whether that be a very extravagant lifestyle or maybe that's you traveling all the time. Those are your comforts and everyone's trying to find that sense of comfortability and they found it and they found it with something that obviously was very quaint and very comfortable and very small. But for them, it was it was everything. And I thought that was just absolutely beautiful. Yeah, to see their dream was already made. I like that. Yeah. Um, then he continues to say that they could try again on this vacation. And that's when they revealed to the audience even more that they were trying to have a child. It's very yep. playful as he says it and kisses her neck. And yeah. uh, we see them driving into town, going through a bridge, then drive by many houses, a dog stopping through the street. And they even stop and quickly say hello to a certain uh, neighbor polishing a lion statue. They make it to Maitland Hardware Store. Adam quickly hops out of the cart before he even stops. And Bill, a man sitting on a chair outside next to a barbershop next to the hardware store, says if he needs a haircut for his vacation. He asks him how the model is going, and Adam quickly answers great and goes straight into the store. Camera stays with Bill for a while, revealing that he's still talking to him, even though not (laughs) noticing that Adam has no longer been there. (laughs) Oh my god. I think we all do this. I think we've all been there, right? Where we're just like, uh, if I I continue, (laughs) if I engage with this person in a conversation, they're never going to stop. I absolutely love it. We've all met these people, right? We, We worked around these people. Yeah. But you know what I never realized? Yes. You know what I never realized, though? Uh, it's kind of crazy to think about it. I just had this epiphany this moment, right? If Adam had just stayed True. and had that conversation with him, probably Barbara yep, could be dog would have already walked yeah. by, right? If they had driven. Exactly. So it's, I always thought like this was just a comedic bit just so people could relate. But if you really think about it, man, the hand of fate was mm-hmm. there, it was guiding and- them the whole way. 
it made him rush to the store because he didn't want to talk to this old ass dude. Well, and because well, remember that, also that back dude. in the house, Barbara wanted him to hurry up because she didn't want to go. Right, and he hops and, out really fast um, too. And and that's oh, why yeah. that's why he was going so quickly because Barbara just wants to stay at home the whole time. She didn't want to see anyone, and yeah, um, that whole time was based off of the fact that they also just wanted to be alone. And he just wanted to hurry up and do his projects so she could do her projects because they were expanding on the house. And that's why he gave her that role so she can start making plans to expand the house, which is why we see that big old piece kind of stuck out of the house that they turn into a deck, which was oddly dope as shit. But um, (laughs) they (laughs) that whole particular scene just is absolutely beautifully done, in my opinion, because you just see. It plays like Final Destination, where you see the pieces are starting sure. to slowly fall into yeah. place to their to lead them to ultimate demise. Yeah. Mm. Damn. I wish I would so have good. seen like like the newspaper clippings or something. Like we see we see Beetlejuice's look into the newspaper clippings, but of the Underworld's version. Sure. Where it's like I'm looking for work and it's the obituaries, it's all work and shit. Yeah. It's like welcome to Maitlands. But uh I, I would have loved to have seen like some some clippings of some kind uh in the real world to to initially see how everything was classified. But yeah, that's just me. That's the true crime person in me. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that'd be cool. <laughs> Uh, so we cut to Adam inside getting all the supplies he needs, and then we get another cut to Bill outside still talking. Camera stays put this time, and we see Adam running out saying, see you later, and gets back into the car. We get a shot of the bridge with a sign that says, come back soon, and the same dog we saw earlier going towards the opening of the bridge. Barb says that this is about to be a great time, and Adam says, are you sure you don't want to go to Jamaica? And she says no. Before they're able to continue, Adam says, look out. They swerve, just missing the dog, and crash through the side of the bridge's wall. The car is half sticking out of the bridge, and the other half is still on the bridge. The car is wobbling, and the only thing that's holding them up is a plank of wood that the dog is still standing on. We get this awesome cut of them looking at the dog, realizing the trouble they're in, and a quick cut to the the dog just jumping off the plank, and we get a great cut back to the couple screaming, Car continues to fall and crashes in the water upside down, slowly sinking, and we fade to black. Oh, what a scene. Man, sad. It's crazy. Like, it, it, it's so slapsticky. Say, oh, that dog was so cute. What a cute yeah. pup. Bro, bro, that dog right. was ridiculously cute. And it made me think about like, okay, whose dog is this? Because I'm going to take you. Like, <laughs> like you're going to be my dog now. <laughs> it's definitely Bill's. But... Oh, yeah, for sure. It has to be, right? Because he, he seems like the person who would just ignore his dog. <laughs> right. But uh, I want to talk about this scene a little bit more. Um, sure. Now, obviously, it's very slapstick comedy, right? Because, one, you can't show horrible death to a child, right? <laughs> Even though, to me personally, drowning is probably one of the worst ways to go. But... It, when it comes to this scene here, how it's so slapsticky where they're looking back at the dog, he's holding a car up on a plank of wood until he gets off of it. Then they fall in and they scream and it's three stoogie and then they're home. But with this scene broken down to a little bit deeper, I really, especially harken back on what Freddie said, talking about those cuts where 
that those cuts is where that comedy lied and it just it broke it down so perfectly where it's just like oh it's them about to fall off of this fucking bridge um and then they look back at the dog and then it cuts back to them uh kind of looking initially at, at the dog looking at them and then the dog gets off and I think that is just so, so well done, especially with the camera work For sure. that is being done here. Because it, it, and bear with me, everybody, it's quite Hitchcockian. And because it, it feels like th- this particular oh, scene yeah, totally. just was drawn out on a storyboard, like perfectly and was shot, shot by shot by a storyboard. And it just, it, it was so Hitchcockian to me. And it reminded me very much of like Rear Window uh, initially where he spots the girl and she spots him and, and so on and so forth. Like it's that very intense um, back and forth. Obviously, this was just with a little cute dog that was holding a car up, <laughs> but it, it still had that effect of that beautiful cinematography. Oh, beautiful, beautiful cinematography. Yeah, I know everyone's probably fucking yelling at me. People are probably yelling at me right now for comparing Burton to Hitchcock, but hey i'm sorry it, it was a hitchcockian <laughs> shot okay i'm sorry yeah in that moment i have to agree with you Prince. thank you david I, this is this is why we're friends this is why you're you're my co-host <laughs> so uh we open back up inside of the house with the cuckoo clock uh chiming and then we get a shot of the fireplace that magically starts a fire we cut to them walking in soaking wet and saying that it's a great start of their vacation and barb notices the fireplace is on Autumn asks about her arm, and she said it feels frozen. They come close to the fire to warm up. They both put their hands towards the flames, and then a burst of flames emerges. Barb's fingertips catches on fire like birthday candles. Feeling no pain, she blows them out. (laughs) They look at each other amazed, and then we cut to an outside shot of the house with red skies. Then we cut back to the couple, and they are trying to remember how they got back to the house. Adam said he was going to go back to the bridge to retrace his steps. He steps out of the house and seems to be teleported to a whole different out-of-world planet. He looks around and hears terrifying noises. A huge worm was about to attack him when he gets pulled back into the house by Barb. Barb told him that he's been gone for two hours and only seconds for him has passed. Barb brings him to the mirror. Yeah, go ahead. Wait, I want want to... Just stop on that scene for a moment Absolutely. there. The, the, that two-hour scene, like, ah, uh, so I, good. It, it was so perfectly done. It's world building because it, exactly it builds the world up. And and it's funny because um, yeah. Beetlejuice said that this is Saturn, right? Uh, Jupiter. Like, um, that Jupiter. Excuse yeah. me. Yes, you're right. And um, when they go there, and how much time has passed, and so on and so forth. It is so fucking cool because when she when he comes back and she's like, you were gone for two hours. It's nighttime. And I I thought that was just so well done. Um, Mm. But I want to ask you, folks, does does the monster sound like the demon inside of the bobble duck to you? Well, when I wow. think kind of like a, duck, like I a pterodactyl it, or something, what, like, it was like a yeah, yeah, like it, yeah, like it exactly. felt like that. It no, seemed I didn't, like that's what they were kind of not obviously not going for. Boba Duck was made later, but it, it seemed like they were kind of going yeah. for that dinosaur esque type of feeling since it's more of a reptilian creature. But 
You know, I got that True. vibe just because of the sand. Um, but I didn't think of like the Babadook or anything like that. Um, but I think I want to add in that this is where for a younger viewer that's like young today might see this scene and think, oh, this is really <laughs> yeah. outdated, right? Um, this is not going to age as well as something as Coraline. At least I would imagine Coraline will age You're very <laughs> well You're because correct. of the... <laughs> because of how advanced the ability for that art direction was able to go at that time versus in 88, right? Technology is very limited. And you could tell here that they're really just trying to show, look at this cool tech yeah. we could do and what we you could show You can even see off. the green on him. Um, oh, for sure. But it looks dated yeah. now. It Exactly, yeah. Great. And and that's when it, yeah, this is just the moment where it's like, this is going to be quirky. Just take it for what it is. And there's some people that can mm. do that and some that can't. But going back on that world building aspect, man, I love that they play with you like that, right? That you're supposed to question, holy crap, that one minute scene was actually two hours in reality. Right. That's that's cool because it leads you, and I bring this up all the time in the show, it leads you to ask, ask questions. And it makes you want those questions answered. Like, what's Take going facts. on? I love that. I love time manipulation in movies in general. Yeah, so, love it. So do I. Yo, me too. Like, I really, really love time manipulation. And even though this is a very simple aspect of time manipulation, this is just so well done because it's 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 easy. Because it's just like, all right, uh, let's do daytime and then nighttime, and it's just like perfect. Yeah, yeah, that 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 honestly that hits it right on the head. Like, it's so perfect. And then we just oh, learned that like it. during that time, Barbara was learning a lot of information, which she starts to show him right now. Which is great. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. what was Barbara doing this whole time? She was learning about stuff, which is great. <sighs> so cool. Yes. So following that, following up this scene, right, where Barb pulls Adam yeah. back into their home, right? Um, just like you said, Freddie, in the in those two hours, she's clearly learned stuff because what she does, and yeah, you'll cut off a little bit there, David. Bring it up in just a second. She immediately brings Adam over to the right. mirror and is like, "Look at this. I think we're." I think we're ghosts, right? And they're in the mirror and they're just like, whoa, we can't see ourselves. But it's such a good use of timing to show that like, hey, Adam, while you were gone, Barbara was roaming around the house, wondering where you were, walked by the mirror, was like, holy shit, I can't see my reflection. And that's how we oh, get to that point so, well so quickly. And Love it's it. well done. She's like figuring out like, we're fucking dead in two hours. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so yeah, Barb brings Adam to the mirror showing that what she has discovered. Along with the edge of the mirror, there are tiny ceramic horses. She picks one of them up and then brings it in front of the mirror. She bo they both notice that they have no reflection and the horse is just floating. She then points at the coffee table, which lies a book called Handbook for the Recently Deceased. Adam reads the title and then emphasizes deceased and then bob repeats the same word she then states that he says diseased actually yeah oh, he's like he? yeah, no, he's he like handbook for the recently diseased like, like deceased uh, <laughs> <laughs> but i mean it, that right, kind of shows right. that it hasn't really dawned on him like it's like he he probably and i've done that too um Maybe no. I'm just a big old dummy, but there's times where like I mix letters oh, up in bro, my that's head. Just a, that's a slight them. form of dyslexia. Um, you good? You good? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but like you would he would think no way it's his deceased right because how right. can you write a book for dead people yeah so i've I, I like always that wanted this fucking handbook always 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 and honestly yeah. once i saw this on bloody disgusting pop up right that this was coming out uh yeah i pre-ordered it guys because it comes with a handbook it's not as not as thick but hey. it's not thick two c's it's more like you know one c like the it's like a the not even not, not even not, the, not the, the c. c it's like a the yeah. like we're almost there you know but yeah, <laughs> i've always wanted this book and I, I finally get to have it so yeah <laughs> so it cuts to them in the bedroom reading the book and asking about so many different questions Adam shares that the book is hard to understand, and with frustration, Barb falls to the bed. And then we get a cut transition to the next day, it seems like. Uh, we get an awesome pan know. down. Yeah, go for it. I, 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 I actually, I actually this, is, this is interesting because it, I don't know if it's the next day. Like, I think, I think months pass. Possibly, yeah. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. It, it's weird. I think... I th- yeah, but I, I but I, I guess thing. this is like before that because you're you're gonna say who comes up next. Yeah, so we get an awesome pan down shot from the house to these multicolored lit candles. On the table, we see a bunch of newspaper clippings for an ad for Beetlejuice. The camera pans to a guy reading a newspaper with the headlines: "Sandworm incidents increase thirteen percent from last year." Uh, he talks to himself. <laughs> Sorry, go for it. No, I was just gonna say I love it. That's oh yeah, it's it's great. <laughs> it's uh, so good. Sorry. Oh yeah, there we go. Uh, he talks to himself that he needs to find a job and goes to the obituary section of the newspaper and sees that Barb and Adam's section is there. He laughs and says, "Cute couple," and they look nice and stupid. Laughing more, we cut to Barb cleaning the attic. <laughs> Adam is still working on his model and is trying to find the best place to add their graves in the cemetery of the model. Barb expresses that she's frustrated because she can't clean anything since the vacuum is locked up in the garage and she can't leave the house. She then asks why they are alone and why there are no other dead people. Adam responds, maybe this is heaven. She then states that if this was heaven, it wouldn't be this dusty everywhere. They hear a car door close outside. I, I love their comebacks with each other. Super They're cute. Great. Yeah. But I think it was super cute that Adam was like, maybe this is heaven. And clearly it's because he's trying to emphasize that like, oh, it's just you and me. What else could we want? But I thought to ground it back into just, you know, what's actually going on. It's really funny how Barbara's like, well, there wouldn't be dust (laughs) because then I wouldn't have to clean. Right. Immediately breaks his fantasize, like his fantasization about it. It's it's pretty clever. I really, really enjoy that, too. (laughs) <laughs> it's kind of funny because now that they're like trapped at the house they wanted to be in the house for vacation it seems like they're getting their wish in a dark way right which is weird but it, yeah honestly it oddly feels like COVID with sheltering in place and stuff yeah where it's just like it's just like yeah, I, I mean really I does. I know not everyone really likes being at home that often but it's just one of those things where it's just like eh, it's, it's home you know how bad can it be and then you're actually there and you're just like fucking get me out of this house <laughs> yeah and like I, I feel like I feel like that's <laughs> what it kind of probably felt like for them where it's just like yeah this was great when it was our idea right but, like, but now we're actually stuck here <laughs> everyone can kind of feel what they've gone through now at this point which is weird Right. Um, they hear a car door 
clothes outside and they head towards the window. They see that it's Jane with her daughter and they're all dressed in black. Adam tries to call out to her, but she doesn't see him or hear him. Barb even states, book rule number two, the living usually won't see the dead. Adam even asks, repeating, won't or can't? And she repeats, won't. Seeing her frustrated about the book, he tells her that they are dead and that they don't have to worry about too much anymore. We cut back outside following Jane's car out and the shot reveals a new sign that says sale and then also being sold for that house as well on the top. We open to the next scene with a new uh, with the couple in the bed sleeping. Adam grabs the covers and reveals that Barb is sleeping in midair and is not using the bed. The house begins to shake and she wakes up and falls to the floor, waking up Adam as well. They go to investigate and see a piece of furniture rolling and thoroughly uh, on the floor, hitting the uh, bottom of the stairs. Uh, we get introduced to a new character, Delia. And Charles, played, or no, Delia, played by Catherine O'Hare, and Charles comes in as well, played by Jeffrey Jones. Charles begins to talk about the house and how it has a decent kitchen, and she will finally be able to cook a decent meal. She takes offense and stares him down. <laughs> she looks around and says, a little gasoline, blowtorch, no problem, as she looks to see that she can make some differences in the house. Um, Yo, the this... <laughs> This whole thing is big Catherine O'Hara energy, right? Oh, here. for sure. Like this I is agree. this is just her character, and she plays it so fucking well. Like even yeah. when you even think about her playing in um, Home Alone, right? Yes, I had like, Home Alone vibes. This reminds me very much of the time when she's initially trying to get back home, and she's with the Polka guys, and she's with John Candy and all those guys, and it very much reminds me of that, where it's just like. This is this is pr the perfect energy, and I love that she brings that energy into everything she does, and including like Shit's Creek, which is recent. But oh yes, I was about to bring that up, Prince. So I was yeah, ask you guys, have you heard of the show Shit's Creek? But straight up, it's like Delia's character, but exactly. as an elderly woman, um, and just fucking filthy rich and forced to live a yeah. life of poverty and it's just it's really fucking funny <laughs> she's just so tone deaf on everything that she does it. and just doesn't get it so if you if, if any listeners enjoy delia's character man check out the show Shit's Shit's Creek Creek is great. if you haven't uh, it heard is. of it it's on it's netflix so but, but yeah, like it, this show. is this is exactly like that energy that she brings and she brought delia to life like I, I, yeah. It's hard for me, even when I watched the Broadway. It was hard for me to really picture that and take that out, and initially transition it in. But the thing that the Broadway um, does a little bit deeper than what this movie does, because this movie, let's be real, this movie is technically about Adam and Barbara. Yeah, this is their movie, um, even though it's called Beetlejuice. Yep. This is about them. And it's about them trying to kind of regain their house and, and initially find their family. And it's so, so interesting seeing how those pieces initially start falling into place. But when Catherine O'Hara first comes into that fucking house, dude, bro, let's go. She's just like <laughs> that a little gasoline, a blowtorch, no problem. I fucking what? Great line. Like, it, yeah. like that is that is not a joke for a child. That is definitely a joke for an adult who is watching this with their kid. And there's like, holy shit, she's awesome. <laughs> like, she has a great moment. This is this what too. we're gonna do. She's perfectly cast oh, for this character. Perfect. 
perfect. Yeah. Absolutely perfect. Oh, man. Catherine O'Hara, man. Shouts out. <laughs> Shout out. Shouts out. And of course, Winona Ryder. But yeah. oh, perfect. I've always had a crush on Winona so, Ryder. Uh, Mover, uh, one of the movers moves oh, in the yeah. couch, and sitting on it is their daughter, Lydia, played by Winona Ryder, in a full black creepy My outfit. Third favorite Winona Ryder, just saying. Third favorite. My <laughs> thing. Your third oh, favorite? Shit. We, okay, so uh, I guess I did this to myself. Top three. I already know. Oh, you're Heather's just number one. Veronica. Probably number one. Winona Ryder is number one. Veronica. Another good musical. You're right. Another good musical. Um, and I. Th- Want to say my second is um, hold on. Let me bring up my list really quick. Let because I, I <laughs> it's not no, 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 it's not Stranger Things. Thank you. She's good in that. Though. Uh, <laughs> she is good in that. But I'm gonna have to say, girl interrupted, Susanna. Mm. Oh my wow, gosh, short it. hair, pixie cut, with Angelina Jolie, boy. Yeah, don't motherfucker. <laughs> like, don't even get me started, <laughs> bro. Don't get me started. Um, actually, uh, Freddie, you'll like that movie a lot if you haven't seen that movie because that is actually, made. Yeah, uh, I haven't. You haven't seen it? Nope. But I will. Well, the screen, the screenplay, James Mangold. Done. Yep, <laughs> I already knew that Sign was going to get up. you, James Mangold. <laughs> but it's it's a terribly sad movie, but. That is oh. my second favorite. And then my third is Lydia. Shouts out. But no. Nah. Big ups to Heathers. Oh, Veronica. <laughs> Hands down. Yeah. Hands down. Heathers has got to be number one. So uh, Charles I expresses. Too that, much of a crush. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, that, that was just me getting my last thought out. <laughs> uh, Charles expresses that they just have to deal with the plumbing. But other than that, the house is pretty much perfect. He asks Lydia what she thinks. And she says... Dahlia hates it here. Then sees a spider web with a nasty-looking spider and says, I can live here. <laughs> Mover brings Love in her. one of the, uh, <laughs> Dahlia's uh, sculptures, and she freaks out and tells him to be careful, and then he just pretty much tosses it on the table, and pretty much she starts to fix it. We get introduced to Otho uh, coming through the window. And I just put here, Otho. why? Otho? Otho? Otho. 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 Okay, that makes more sense. (laughs) Um, Charles asks, why not use the front door? And he says, it's bad luck. Charles already knows that what they're planning is to make a lot of changes to the house. Adam and Barb are are looking into this, and they're seeing that they're trying to stop them with a different type of plan. Adam said that he's been reading from the book and that they should be what they are, ghosts. Otho brings out some spray cans, and Delia and him begin to go to room to room. Delia enters a room and spray paints Mallor. And I looked it up. I couldn't come up with anything. I'm guessing that's a color to paint the room? Uh, I, I think it is. I, I don't think it was Mallor. I think it was Mauve. It, it's a M-A-U-R-E. Uh, I even put the subtitles just to make sure I got it right, but I couldn't oh, find really? anything. Because I... I because mauve is M A U V E, which could look like an R, but because um, mauve is purple, yeah, probably it. Uh, we see them open what? the closet, and Barb is hanging from a rope, and they don't even notice. <laughs> they do look surprised and kind of disgusted. <laughs> this was fucked up. <laughs> it was dark for the first reveal of trying to scare them. Yeah, this was know, a very right? dark scene for sure. 
Oh, but not my only that, God. she rips off her face and gets a terrifying visual of a skull and her eyes popping out. Oof. Man. Yeah. And then it has Very a beautiful cut though, right? of showing their face, kind of surprised, that looked like they were reacting to it, but they just put the clothes to the side and they are just more terrified about the closet and hoping there's not more like it. Which is great. And they push her, too. Yeah, they push her to like, the side and the clothes. Like, <laughs> super violently. Yeah. It's just like... like oh, fuck. <laughs> yeah, she was just uh, just part of... She got pushed along with right. every other like, coat. That was oh, I way, love right? it so much. But it, it's funny that you even say this, too, David, where you said it's very Tim Burton. Because it's like, it's very early Tim Burton. Tim Burton hasn't, like, made a movie like this in a while. Like, he's he's been really stuck on those remakes and stuff yeah. like that. I think his last like original and correct me if I'm wrong, everybody on Twitter um, was probably fuck. I don't know. Uh, that's not even original either, but I was going to say, uh, uh, God, Sweeney Todd, Sweeney Todd mm. and the demon barber, but you're right. Um, or the demon barber on fleet street, but I'm not even too sure on that. Cause I know that was like, gosh, late two thousands, maybe but i i just i because i used to be such a fan of tim burton and i just fucking can't stand his movies dude i can't stand his movies so much um i think (laughs) um why is it i think it's the fact that he he does things that aren't really breaking the mold anymore it's just one of those things where it's like how weird can i get you know and do you feel like he like kind of lays a little on bit. his uh, laurels? A little bit. Or sits like on his same laurels, thing with like Dumbo when he remade Dumbo and it kind of was that exact same mm-hmm. thing where it's just like, let's just see how odd we can get with this. Um where Dumbo was extremely cute, but Dumbo the first movie was like super crazy short. Like I don't even think it was technically considered a theatrical um because it was so short and he had to make that into a longer movie right but if you take something like big eyes where it's completely not his style except for the paintings then you do get something a little bit more i guess um beautiful out of it um and i would love to see him do more of stuff like that versus or come back to his original stuff where even his batmans were fun you know i'm just saying that's good i'm just saying Batman's are fun. <laughs> He's a very it's stylistic director, and I like his style. Yeah, it's very cool. I want to. I want him to come back to like Mars's Mars Attacks, James and the Giant Peach. Even though it's Henry Selick, he produced it. Um, but I want him to come back to stuff like that, and even fucking come back to do another Pee Wee Herman. Like, oh, oh that'd be great. Bro. So, oh, yeah. bro, that's like, a low key movie too. Some scenes. It, it definitely is. And fun fact, everybody, that. Is my favorite Tim Burton movie of all time. Wow. Pee-wee. Pee-wee's Big Adventure oh, is my favorite. That just reminds 100%. me of being a kid and it's Hands down, again. my favorite ever <laughs> of all Tim Burton. It's just, it is nothing tops that for me. Not Edward Scissorhands, not this, not uh, uh, Big Fish, none of that. Even though Big Fish, I think, is his most popular of his, like, yeah. uh, normal or not normal his original stuff i think it's good but, storytelling it was a good movie god peewee's big fucking adventure dude like oh, i yeah. literally wrote a paper on that in college and <laughs> i was the only person who got an a 
I they just saw the title. They're like, yeah, wow. hey, good job. Pretty much. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you guys about that story one more time. So they continue and they open the door to the study and Adam's body is on the ground and Barb is holding his decapitated head in one hand and a knife in the other trying to scare them one more time. The couple realize, yeah. uh, the couple realize that nothing is working. Delia goes off saying if she doesn't do what she, oh no, sorry, I kind of skipped the part. Uh, Charles jumps out scaring Delia and Otho and Delia goes off saying if she doesn't do what she wants to do, she will go insane and take him with her, which is a great scene, by the way. She kind of really goes nuts. Very true. And this is very Catherine O'Hara too. 100%. Oh, um, so good. Adam remembers to run and lock the attic door because they were heading that way. And he gets in just in right at time to close and lock the door. Uh, Barb frustrated leaves the house. Or, so Barb starts to get frustrated and tries to leave the house and falls into the other planet like place. And they're about to get attacked by the sandworm. But the sandworm has uh, just tried to attack and Barb punches it. And they just have a barely enough time to escape back to the house. And I just put here the sandworm design is really cool because we get to see that it opens its mouth up. And then another sandworm kind of comes out of that pretty much as well. So I was like, creature design in this scene is really, really well done. Yeah. I know I keep bringing it up and I apologize. But in the musical, that snake is on in the show. Oh, yeah, it is in the show. Keep bringing it up because <laughs> that thing is awesome. I used to have a uh, uh, God, I hope I have a picture of this somewhere, but I used to have a watch that was the shape of the snake. So oh, that's cool. Yeah, I like that. So oh, cool. really like his, the, there was the dual heads and the dual head came out to be the actual face of the watch. And I remember I got it at JC Penney's. That's I awesome. was so stoked. It was gold. In the inside, and I was—I thought I was flashy as shit at school because I had a gold uh, <laughs> Beetlejuice watch. I wasn't that cool. <laughs> that very True much dad. sounds like a young True prince dad. watch. True dad. This horse yeah, shit's been a part of my life forever, watch. everyone. Forever. <laughs> I mean, awesome. Uh, we cut to them having a family dinner. Uh, and then that's when Charles says that once they settle in, they can create a dark room for Lydia. And then she responds, my whole life is a dark room. <laughs> which is like, <laughs> great line. It's very dark, which I felt kind of bad. That, that actually was I one of those it. moments where like, I felt really bad for her. Because I was like, damn, are you okay? Um, they all start discussing about working on the house. And Delia says that everything must go and everything in the attic must go as well. Of course, uh, the couple listen in on this, and they're kind of shocked by it. Then we get an opening shot of the house the next day. There's uh, movers all over the front yard, and Barb and Adam find the ad that says Beetlejuice and realize there is no number or anything to call for it. We cut back and realize that they are doing some major remodeling outside of the house. Charles walks into the kitchen and asks the movers to take a break. Right before he gets a chance to relax, one of Delia's sculptures breaks through the window breaking the tension. The guy who was lifting the sculpture brings it down and almost lands it on Delia and she is stuck between it and the wall of the house. She even says, what I don't want to do to me. <laughs> she doesn't want to die from her sculpture. That's not dangerous. <laughs> My art is dangerous. <laughs> I don't want to die from it. 
Uh, Lydia is outside as well, taking photos and spots the couple in the attic. The couple realize that she can see them. Jane then pulls up to the house and gives Lydia the skeleton key to the house. She begins to walk up to the attic, and, a, and the couple hears her and shrugs it off because they know the door is locked. Then they realize that she was able to get a key, and they try to block off the door. As they're doing this, the TV in the attic turns on, and there's an ad for Beetlejuice saying he's a bio-exorcist. Michael Keaton, who plays Beetlejuice, does an incredible introduction of himself and why he will do anything Fuck for their yeah. business. That he would even scare them or even possess himself if he had to. He says that you must not say it once or twice, but three times for his name for him to come help him. The TV then turns off and they go back to the door and push the key out of the keyhole. Adam said that he's been reading something about emergencies and then that he will be able to draw a door with a chalk to help him out. When he first starts writing the, the door on the wall, nothing happens. But then he realizes that he must knock three times. And that's when the wall begins to shake and opens up. I want to talk so, about this for a second. Yeah. I love this. Um, Great amount of stuff the three knocks. It, Is it a callback like, to the I, three I, names? No, no. I honestly think it's a callback to like the mocking of the Trinity. Ooh. Yeah, I was going to say, when it comes to like horror stuff, a, a lot of things come in mm -hmm. three because it is mocking it. Uh, I mean, even with yep. Beetlejuice saying his name three times, the three knocks, we've seen it a lot before, 3.33 yep. a.m. in horror, right? There's a whole yeah. bunch of stuff. So I, think, I that. think that honestly follows that. And um, what I think is actually really clever with this is the fact that it's like, it's the three knocks of the Mocking of the Trinity to initially go into the underworld. And... I, I found that to be super duper interesting, um, especially now, right, um, where we can initially break it down a little bit more. And granted, yes, all the shit we talk about on this show can be a stretch, but it's fun to speculate. But it's <laughs> for sure one of those things that initially makes this even more interesting to break down because Beetlejuice is a demon, right? And... That's one of those things that makes mm -hmm. uh, that we hear in, I guess, media and shit is what makes a demon initially uh, weak is knowing its name. Like we hear it time and time again in The Conjuring and so on and so forth uh, with like Valak and all this other shit. But um, that's one of Damn. those things where it felt like that, where his name was to conjure him and his name was to also destroy him. Right. Because he can't and see it's it himself. Just, it's exactly that's crazy that's and good that's insight. that's one of those that's one of those things where i felt like uh uh he went a little bit deep into demonology when it came to that kind of thing like with the bio exorcism and stuff like that um of possession and all that stuff it it's just absolutely intriguing absolutely intriguing mm. i like that Man. let's see uh we transitioned back to outside of the house and now we have seen that it's completely changed and looks like more of a modern art piece than a house. Uh, we cut to Charles looking at a bird book and uses binoculars to spot a very creepy bird on the steps, <laughs> which is really weird looking at. And it was like eating something. He was like, yeah. get it. <laughs> the bird looked like, like a zombie bird. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. it's like get it. <laughs> uh, Lydia comes in uh, and not knowing that she's there scares him. He then just asks her to relax and just talk to her mother and shrugs her off as while she was trying to say anything about the ghost. 
uh, we cut to the couple going inside a undead wa uh, waiting room. We are presented with a bunch of dead people who have died in various different ways, and we can only tell by just what we see. They go up to the teller, and she stated that they don't have an appointment, and they're going to have to ask to wait. And that they're, uh, they're here pretty early because they only died two months ago. She states that they only have 125 years in that house <laughs> and only have three chances to get help from Juno. She then explains that they will have to wait and that Juno is their uh, case worker. And then we cut back to Lydia getting inside the attic and she turns on the lights and sees the whole city model light up. She then finds the book and begins to read it. Then we get a cut back to the couple in the waiting room and them interacting with various two different undead people in it. The teller tells them that uh, different things happen to the different people when they die and jokes about her own accident and shows them her slit wrists. Uh, I do want to talk about the waiting room because we do see a lot of new mm -hmm. characters and essentially like monster designs, which I was like, just mm -hmm. the visuals alone yeah. tell it in a story of how they died, which is yeah. sad to think about. What'd you guys think? Now, this is some Tim Burton ass shit, right? Oh, here. for sure. It's where like <laughs> the movie goes off exactly. the rails and like here's all too, these yeah. visuals just by a waiting room, oh, which yeah. felt like a very like DMV type place, which is hilarious. Oh yeah, totally. But also, it's yeah, very and I, dark. It, yeah, one hundred percent. And I even a harken on how dark this actually is, just like how you said, Freddie, where everyone and sitting in this room is initially telling a story based off of their condition. Right. Uh, you have the guy with the shrunken head who also has the rifle. We can probably guess that he probably, I don't know, got a curse or something. Right. Well, uh, and maybe Haiti or something like that. Um, maybe it was hunting or whatever. Um, but then you have the woman who slit her wrist where um, and it even harkens back on that joke later right. in the dinner table where it was just like, yeah. I hear if you commit suicide, you become a, I forgot what he called it, like a, a social worker or whatever um, in the afterlife. Or no, um, a civil servant yeah. in the yeah. afterlife. And um, yeah, that's what it is. she was just that. She was a civil servant. And she showed, showed them her wrist and things like that. And, and this is something that, granted, can be extremely shocking for parents to see while watching this with their kid, but a kid's not going to take that. And they're going to be like, I don't know what the fuck that means. Like, yeah. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. you know, like, I, I don't know what the, what that means at all, but you know, kids can copy things. Right. So sure. Yeah. Which, which is why actually Tim Burton chose to do it the wrong way, just in case if a kid did try to copy. Um, so big ups on that, but that's something that definitely could have probably been left out, but still. Sure. And I, I do love the fact that they, help of the costumes that they put these characters into like uh the person who slit her wrist she's like part of a beauty pageant and you can kind of say like yeah. oh maybe she was stressed out she didn't think her she was beautiful enough or like the person who was cut in half she was like a magician's assistant because you can kind of tell that's what right. she was like there's a lot of details that tell a story of that mm -hmm. type of person and possibly how they died which i liked that's mm -hmm. really smart really smart filmmaking very smart writing actually yeah, I agree. So uh, a guy is a guy comes in who's completely flat and has tire marks all over his body and asks for their name. <laughs> this dude is hilarious. It's so good. Another uh, great design too. It's I mean it's sad, but yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> tells them that they need to bring their handbook and go to the sixth door. 
They realize they forgot to bring the handbook and continue to proceed. They walk into a room filled with the undead working at their desks. The flat man is suspended by a cable mechanism and asks the couple how he looks because they don't have mirrors on the other side. Then he proceeds to make a small joke saying he feels a little flat and then shoots his way across the room into the slit of the wall. They walk down this very creepy hallway that looks like a house of mirrors, but also a fun house. Uh, Little by little, they go down the hallway and they realize they are going by a door where they realize there are lost souls, is what a stranger says, which is a very sad part of the movie for me. Because it's like, uh, I mean, you can Mm -hmm. emphasize for those souls being lost and being stuck there. And they kind of explain that's like the death of being the dead. I think, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think they explained that these are the ghosts that got exercised and it's death for ghosts, right? It's death for the dead, like you said. But yeah, I think it's cool that they like kind of they they made a call out on that like what happens to those that get exercised, right? Well, they go in here. And uh it reminded me of oh, uh yeah, good call. The, the Disney movie were at the end yeah, and the souls in the, the underworld. Yeah. Yeah. I I actually yeah. really agree with that. That's what it definitely reminds me of too, where it kind of reminds me of like those souls in the water and it reminds me of like God of War as well. Yeah. Um where they actually look a lot closer to like this too in God of War, but yeah, just like you said, like the, with the exercising of the souls or the people or the ghost or anything like that, um though that definitely made it scary, but at the same time it's funny because the janitor pops up and he's just like yeah, it's all in the manual. Like, like That's everyone true. keeps bringing it back. Like, yeah, bro, like read the manual. Like, yeah. all this stuff is in there. <laughs> right? Yeah, pretty much. It's great foreshadowing of what may happen to them later on in the movie too, which is great. Very true. Yeah. Very true. So they finally reach the door and they realize that it's their own home with a whole oh, different type damn. of interior design. Um, they are asked how long they were waiting, and then Juno appears and says that they were waiting for three months and that she was about to leave. They expressed their concerns to her, and she asked them if they have been reading the manual, and all the answers are in there. She then says that it's their house, and they should get them out themselves. She emphasizes that they should start with smaller things and what they're good at and try to scare them out. They reach the attic, and she gets alerted that she needs to leave. Barb then asks her about the guy from the flyer. Before she says her name, Juno stops her and warns her that he was her assistant, and went on and caused so much trouble for her and other people around her. Uh, as she smokes, we then see that her throat is open and that the smoke is coming out of her neck. She then expresses yeah, something, David. Oh, I love that too. I love that. Yeah, I want to. I want to comment yeah. on her her appearance and what Freddie just mentioned that when she smokes, it's coming out of a hole in her neck, and I'm just thinking that's just 100%. good passive storytelling. Um, and it's 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 kind of cool because at first you don't really realize that she has like a <laughs> hole in her throat, um, and you uh, it's I would imagine it's either depicted that she has a hole in her throat from smoking, or I think, maybe I think her she was murdered. Was I think so too. But if yeah, I think she was murdered. Okay. and and she just was a smoker. It, yeah, got you. Because I had wondered at first if like oh did she die from smoking like she eventually got a hole in her throat and then passed away and how ironic <laughs> that she continues to smoke even so in cool, the afterlife though. right uh so i don't know i i just love that she's just a normal ass mm-hmm. lady and her <laughs> she got a hole in her throat 
It's funny. I love it. I actually thought that was one of my favorite character designs because she looks very normal, like you right. said. And like, like, oh, she probably died of old age. And then you see the slit when the smoke comes out. And you're like, oh, fuck, never mind. She was she was killed. Her throat exactly. was slit. Got yeah. it. <laughs> oh, who would do that? That poor little lady. Yeah. But it's good. Yeah, <laughs> like we were talking about storytelling. It definitely brings up another thing. It's like, no, this she's another person who's dead who probably died right. in a sad way. Um, Very true. She expresses that he can be called upon if you say his name three times and doesn't suggest it. They are asked how they can reach her if they need her for anything, and then she just disappears. She just bounces. Um, Bob worries that he's in their cemetery and from what they saw on the TV he, uh, and he just says oh they just need to keep it simple and they'll do it themselves uh, then we hear a fly in the room and then we zoom into the cemetery of the model city we see Beetlejuice's hands coming out of the ground calling over the fly even with a candy bar it was a trap and all we see is a cut to his gravestone and what we assume him eating the fly and on this gravestone, he has the coolest fucking gravestone. Here ever. lies Beetlejuice, Ugh, with all <laughs> the fucking demons pointing down at the ground. Ugh. So good. It looks so sick, dude. So sick. It's, it's to this it's, day. It's his art. I've style. always wanted like a little statue of that. Yeah. Even I didn't bring it up, but on so. the title card of the Beetlejuice's name is so sick mm-hmm. design. It's a, it's pretty much like a tombstone yeah, with a couple skulls there. and stuff, and it's great. Uh. Uh, it was so. It, this design, movie baby. is so artfully crafted, yeah. And yeah, just like you said, it man, it's a Tim Burton ass design, and it, it it's the JJ Abrams lens flare of Tim Burton's art design. <laughs> <laughs> True that. Uh, we cut to Charles on a business call with someone from New York. He wants to invest on buying out the whole entire town. The guy doesn't want to uh, add into it and just ends up hanging up on him. He hears moans from the hallway and goes to investigate. He opens the door to a bunch of bedsheets shaped like a ghost. He immediately just thinks it's Lydia and explains that he was on a very important phone call and he just closes the door on her. Then they try to go to Delia's room next and try to scare her out, and she's just passed out. Lydia hears their moans from the next room and mistakes them as sex sounds and bangs on the wall saying, stop, that she's just a child. Which, yeah, I didn't realize... That's what she was talking about when I saw it in the past mm-hmm. and stuff like that, too. I was like, oh, wow. They went there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it. I I was laughing here, dude. I, I should have didn't realize. I, yeah, like you just said, Freddie, I, I never I didn't even remember this scene, but just seeing it and seeing her reaction before she even said anything. I was like, oh, yeah, these are fucking. That's really funny uh, because it, it sounds like it. I really enjoyed it. I do want to take a little step back um, where like, yeah, that scene in particular. But this scene's actually really important. Um, all three of these. It's, it's a it's a vignette to all three of them in a way where uh, the first one is initially how sleazy her dad is right where initially his plan is to buy that whole town and to turn it into something that it's not. And then you go to the mom and you can tell like, okay, she's addicted to her pills. Like she's passed the fuck out. And granted, we don't know what time it is, but she's not even under the covers. She has her clothes on and all this other stuff still. And that's, that's one of those things where it's just like, okay, she's probably a pill addict. And it's, all these types of things where, to me personally, this is one of the most heartbreaking scenes. Because one, they're all alone. 
They're not they're not in the room with each other. They're not spending time together, um, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that it, to me personally. But um, on top of that, you can tell they're all kind of going through their own like woes. And it's so fascinating seeing that where Lydia just looks so sad and she l- looks like she just yeah. absolutely hates it there. And then she hears her parents, quote unquote, fucking. And it's just one of those things where. Uh, and and that's even where we get the sense and we actually find out that that's not Lydia's real mom. Mm-hmm. That is that was her stepmom where she ends it with with I like I don't know what you see in her and stuff like that. So it also kind of brings it back where it's just like, I wonder what happened to her mom. Like, did they just get a basic divorce or uh, did her mom pass away? So it, it it made me it made me really really sad for like all of them in this moment in a way it made me real feel really bad for them but that's just me seeing it in an adult lens but as a child obviously yeah this is these are very three very quick scenes right <laughs> no I feel that I I kind of agree yeah and I had to yeah but um I think it does such a good job letting the comedy mm-hmm. aspect of it as well. Um, because like, even with, um, Delia, she's like, uh, not phased by Adam and Barbara and, uh, she's just trying to turn off the TV and she's like, all yeah. she wants to do is sleep. Um, and yeah, it's sad, but at the same time, oh, it's yeah. such a good blend of funny because it's hard of to do course. sad and funny uh, at the same time. And, and like I said, this scene is probably not supposed to come off as sad. It's just the fact that we're seeing it with adult lenses, right? Like we're, we're, right. we're, we're not teenagers anymore. Yeah, the significance exactly. of what we're watching. Exactly. Yeah. God, I love this fucking movie though. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. Keep going. <laughs> uh, being unaffected, they go back in the hallway and then they get caught by Lydia taking photos to him. She thinks it's still their parents doing weird kinky things and then soon realizes in the photos that they have no feet. With no fear, she goes straight up to the couple and asks them if they are the ones that are in the attic and asking if they are uh, gross looking. Um, And pretty much she just talks about like, oh, if they're going to be like um, zombies or grotesque or what they look like and stuff like that, which is kind of funny, which I liked a lot because there's a lot of throwbacks to a lot of movies. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Essentially, they reveal themselves, and they are amazed that she can see them. They ask, how can she see them? And then she said that she read the book, and that um, the strange and unusual can see them, and that she is strange and unusual. She then expresses that their scares are not going to help her mother because she Mm -hmm. has taken Valium. And she said, oh, yeah, she's sleeping with Prince Valium tonight, and stuff like that, which is... Mm -hmm. Stepmother, yeah. Well, she was like, stepmother, and that makes it very clear for the audience right. that like, oh, this is not her birth mom, and this is why she has yeah. this yeah. and also that she's addicted her. to her pills. Exactly. Like it was, it was like a, a oh, dual yeah, effect. Too. Like this is my drug addict stepmom kind of thing. Right. And she was very, very yeah. clear on that to them. <laughs> and she said it very nonchalantly too, like, oh, this is just who she is. Like she's used to it. Right. Which is right. Sad. Uh, oh, we yeah, cut very much so. We cut to outside the house and it transitions to them uh, to the attic looking at the town model. She asks why they are trying to scare them and they respond that they want them to move out of the house. Lydia just says they would never leave in equity and asks why don't they leave. The couple explain that they can't. Lydia is just amazed that they are really dead. 
They ask her uh, that she should tell her parents how awful they are and they won't stop at anything to get their house back. She asked if she was dreaming and if they can do a trick and they pretty much shrug their head saying no. And that they need a new routine because the bed sheets, they won't work. And they pretty much also earlier the dad talked about like, oh, you should put holes in these 300 bed sheets and talking about like the business deals and right, stuff like yeah. that. It just shows like more materialistic <laughs> stuff with the family that they care a lot about money and they yeah. also explained that oh yeah they would never leave an equity they would never lose money on something like that so getting scared won't be a problem for them which i found kind of sad right and that she realizes that too yeah which is interesting yeah okay so we cut to the morning outside of the house and there's been more renovation going on with the land uh, you see a machine digging up the ground and also renovating the entire front lawn. What an odd machine. Right. Very Tim Burton though. Like, like it was like, yeah, it was super Tim Burton. It was like, it was like clawing at the ground and it wasn't even shooting the dirt into the bag and it was just in one spot. Right. It was digging the ground and then spitting it out somewhere. Yeah, uh, just like, all right, this is a weird machine. What are you, what even are you fucking doing? Like, what are you doing, machine? Like you're not you're really terraforming. Digging, it seems like, yeah, exactly. It's just like, what are you here for? <laughs> uh, we cut to the kitchen with Delia and Lydia talking about the ghost, and her mom is just not having it. She's preparing dinner for her guests, and she doesn't want to be embarrassed. The couple admire her for trying as they listen in. They talk to the, uh, they talk about them trying to get help. We are back in the attic with the couple. Barb notices that flashing is coming from the model. She knows it's him and calls his name three times. They get teleported to the cemetery in the model and sees his grave. The, um, Adam says that they have to start digging, and they, they start digging and they reach his coffin. It begins to shake and pops out is Beetlejuice. Uh, they print, uh, Real be quick. Sure, yeah. Uh, I love the digging. Because oh, it's all yes. just like paper and cardboard. It's so detailed. Like, I absolutely oh, love it. Yeah, it, I wanted to bring that up too. Go ahead. What is that? Sorry. What is that material between oh, like walls? The, um, is it? Uh, um, God damn it! Or it's. It's. I know what it's called. Sure. Insulation. No, it's yeah. Uh, insulation. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. It's insulation and cardboard, and uh, I loved it. I loved it's it. Just, it's and I love genius, how like right? he pulls up like the fake grass. And then he like sticks it in, and it's like cork, and then right. cardboard, and it's just like I, I just love how yeah. how that was done. That was just done so well. And there was even times where uh, Barbara wasn't even throwing anything when she <laughs> like lifted her shovel. She was just like, "There's nothing there." Yeah, I noticed that too. <laughs> yeah, it's so good. Love it. Love the detail. Oh, love the detail. But when Beetlejuice pops up, that's like our first initial conversation with Beetlejuice. Ugh. God damn, man! God damn, I, I'm gonna let I'm gonna let you say this, but I want to talk about that. I'm gonna let you say this first, though. Okay. Uh, pretty much right when he pops out, he grabs Barb and kisses her and asks Adam if he's got a shot. He's asking how he's got, who he's got to kill, and Adam says no one. And he responds possession, then controls Barb temporarily, then just expresses that they just want some people out of their house. Um, they are off put by his manners and ask him to talk to uh, or Barb asks to talk to Adam in private. Let me see if I skipped anything. Oh, no. Okay. I did. They express 
uh, that they want to have some people out of their house. They are off put by his manners. He explains, are you have any qualifications? He explains that he has a lot of good education, even said that he went to Harvard, and that he's seen The Exorcist 167 times, and it gets funnier each time. Also, that he's a dead guy. And that's pretty much all the qualifications he needs. Most imp- That's true, Most too. Most importantly, yeah. he also went to Juilliard. Yeah. And it, it, it's funny because he changes his voice <laughs> for that. Right, and it's like very like this? sophisticated, yeah. well-mannered. Right. I went to Juilliard, and Harvard. You just, you just see the range that Michael Keaton had at this point in time. Oh, for sure. And like it was so – this whole first bit of us officially meeting him – it was just so well done. Yeah, and we like, don't get introduced it, it, to him until like uh, pretty into the movie. This is a little bit more like than half forty minutes. It. Yeah, yeah, like forty minutes into the movie, like you don't get, you yeah. don't see the person who this movie is named after. Of like, <laughs> well, you see him, but we don't meet him officially until then. As shitty as it is to watch it, he shows you exactly who Beetlejuice is so perfectly, and he's really gross yeah. and perverted towards Barbara. Her dress, trying to look up her uh, yeah. her skirt, her dress. Um, I yeah. mean, straight up kissing her um, without consent, and you know, asking Adam At, it, uh, for uh, permission, yeah. basically, to pursue her. It's 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 gross, um, and this is the portion that didn't really age well because I think these jokes were more acceptable in the late '80s and to a degree like up until yeah. the early 2000s. But now you watch it and you're just like, yeah. this is really creepy and gross. But like you said earlier, Prince Beetlejuice is a demon, and this is like if there's gonna be like a cartoonish uh, demon persona for kids to watch, this is kind of how you're gonna portray it, and it, right. it does a pretty good job in doing so. Um, so in that aspect, it's, it's, uh, it's well done, but it's just kind of, yeah. no, I definitely agree. Watch, you know? it, it's one of those, uh, types of situations that makes it really icky and it shouldn't have even been acceptable in the eighties either. Um, but like it, unfortunately yeah, it was like, it, it was, it was very okay to cat call and to, um initially fl- uh do this over the top flirting where you're crossing every boundary on top of the list and seeing this now um it it shows you where it's just like yeah dude like none of this is okay all of this is extremely wrong and toxic and it's it harkens back on the point where sure like we can kind of slap it on the wrist of like this person's a demon and things like that but that portrayal isn't something that's seen off of the top um it, it's something that you do have to dive in a little bit deep um because it initially it is classified as like i'm a dead dude just like everyone else in here and everyone else has that discoloration and things like that except for barb and adam and that particular discoloration that he has is the same discoloration that the uh, football players kind of had. He was just a little bit lighter. And then same thing with the, the woman who um, was actually the civil servant and so, so on and so forth. Like it's all those types of things where it, it, it doesn't classify him very blatantly as a demon. And it, it, it's something that we have to d- dive in a little bit deeper to kind of find his creature aspect, I felt like. What's 
what's crazy is, and I forgot the source of where mm-hmm. I saw this from, but initially Beetlejuice was supposed mm. to be a lot more extreme, that. like sur- surpassing raunchy, um, like things that are deemed inappropriate for even <sighs> yeah. adults, let alone children to see. Um, and I forgot where I saw this. I think I saw this on like a video in the take or mm-hmm. I, I'm drawing a blank, but I'm sure if you look it up, um, this version of Beetlejuice is a very pulled back and safer approach to wow. what Beetlejuice originally was supposed to be. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't think I would have been able to stomach uh, the idea of the original Beetlejuice um, yeah. if that came to fruition. But yeah, it's it's something if anyone's curious, maybe just look up like um, something like how the original mm-hmm. Beetlejuice was supposed to be. Um but yeah, right. uh, that's kind of crazy to think yeah. about. Uh, so Adam asks if he can be scary as well. We get a great shot over looking at his shoulders and we see a bunch of different creature-like parts come out of his face, scaring the couple to death. He asks if they like it and Barb asks to talk to Adam in private. Beetlejuice is lifting her dress up as they talk and Adam gets really mad and then he puts on the same outfit as him to say sorry and that they're the same. Meanwhile, he's still trying to touch Barb. Which, yeah, this scene was kind of tough watching. I was like, this guy is a jerk. And yeah, it's, it's very, it's very gross. Yeah. He then shares that... Tickling and all that stuff. Gross. Yeah. He then shares that they all have been to Saturn and talks about the sand snakes. And that's pretty much when we finally get to reveal that when they get out of the house, they get teleported to, I guess, Saturn, which is interesting choice yeah. for direction. But it's kind of cool. Okay. He asks them what he needs to do to strike a deal with them. And his head comes off his head and spins out of control and then backs and back onto his shoulders again. He's like, I hate when that happens. Barb has had enough. And while he's still trying to have them come over and like go over and have dinner with him. She says, home, 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 three times, and they teleport back to normal size in the attic. Beetlejuice is calling them a bunch of losers, and Barb just doesn't want to deal with him anymore, and they want to keep that pervert away from Lydia. We transition to the dinner that Delia was planning. Otho says that he was a paranormal investigator, and Lydia brings up that she has seen some ghosts. Otho presses on about the subject, but Delia begins to talk about something else, But then something magical happens. She starts singing. Slowly, the whole entire dinner party starts dancing and sings Deo by Harry Belafonte, which is a great scene. Uh, Lydia is loving seeing everyone dance around the table. AF. When this happens, oh oh man, this is the iconic scene. Yeah, this scene. It's just fun. Again, I keep bringing it up, but like, it's maybe you can, oh, you YouTube can for it sure for YouTube that. that. Interested, but like, YouTube, oh, the yeah, bro- I think the that Broadway was like version. in the trailer yeah. when they were announcing the Broadway, they had this, uh, yeah. this kind of number in there. It is so good, but even in this, in this movie, like, it's just, it's so well done. And I love how everyone kind of looks where you could tell, like, some are like into it and then they're like wait why the fuck am i into this i'm being controlled and it's just it's it's yeah. so interesting seeing how everyone's just getting possessed and i love actually this this goes back to the arc of uh adam and barbara as well where they became very powerful ghosts at that point like they possessed all of them and it, right. it was so fucking cool to see them be like 
cool. We just possessed like five or six people at once. So they became really powerful really quick. Well, and it, it's just it's uh, funny because um, we get Adam listening to music a lot in this movie. And Juno says you should use your talents yeah. to scare them when he's alive. Yeah. I feel like that's like, oh, I know what we can do. And that's something that was like very personal to him as a character. It was like, mm-hmm. oh, I love dancing to music. Let's make these people dance. Right. And maybe because he was good at that, maybe he was powerful in that arena. That's how I took it. Mm-hmm. But it depends. Regardless, it's one of the best scenes in the movie, if not the best scene in the movie. But yeah. Yeah. And like you said, Freddie, um, it, it's not a song that's just out of context, out of nowhere. Yeah. Um, Adam, yeah, Adam in the beginning of the film is very much a fan of this genre of music and is listening to, um, yeah, I mean, listening to music in general a lot, but yeah, also I don't song. remember if it was the same song, but listening mm-hmm. to music. Because it, it even, okay, got you. This yeah. song so, plays yeah, three times in this movie. It. it even opens with this song, but it's like a darker version. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I love. Uh, right. Man, yeah. The music does that too. It's awesome. Well, towards the end of the song, they all start to sit back down after their dance, and hands come out of their plates, grabbing their faces and pushing them off the chairs. We cut back to the couple, so super excited and watching out the window to see them run and scream, but nothing. Lydia comes to the attic and says, They want you to go downstairs. We cut back to the party and they're just loving the fact that they were a part of something like this and that it felt like a carnival ride. They're all already trying to make a profit out of it too as well. Delia manager says that there's no exact proof and when Lydia comes down back from upstairs, she says that the ghost won't come down. So the guests just up and leave. Delia furious that they furious, they made uh, the whole group march upstairs to the attic and ask them for them to open the door. And this is where we're like talking about like she was saying some crude comments like, oh, they probably committed suicide up there and talking about like them getting pulled by the rope that they hung themselves with and stuff like that, which, of course, right. the jokes don't age well, and especially for people who have committed suicide and people that know people who committed suicide. This joke might mm-hmm. be very brutal hearing, yeah. which is sad. Yeah, or people who've tried. Yeah. Right. And and like this, this all of this can be triggers. And they, it's so nonchalantly done in this yeah. movie that people can. Th- these are things that are easily forgotten, and this is this is why I even brought up where it's just like I wouldn't really show this movie to most people who ha- who claim they haven't seen it. I wouldn't just be like, "Oh my god, you need to see this movie," because of how, um, because of how dated most of the jokes are. And granted, like we enjoy this movie because we've seen this movie as kids and as teenagers and so on and so forth. And it's very, it's a very pinnacle part of our childhood in some ways, especially mine. Um, but yeah, you're absolutely right where this is something that definitely is a little bit harder to swallow. And this is where the musical comes into play. Cause I've, I've been suggesting the musical to people who haven't seen Beetlejuice a lot more than the actual movie. I always say watch, uh, watch or listen to the musical first um, because it is more modern and it it actually has kind of toned those types of jokes down or completely gone. So it's it's a lot better for a more modern audience for sure. And it's easier for them to get as well. So, yeah. 
Uh, they managed to get through the door, and they realized the model of the entire town. And you can see that Charles Charles is very impressed. Also, also looks around, and then he ends up finding the book, the handbook that they left on the table. Delia, not wanting to scare them, asks everyone to leave the room and wants them to be coming back. Beetlejuice is uh, heard laughing at their efforts and tries to do something himself. As they start to walk down the stair or walk down the hallway upstairs. Delia grabs the railing of the staircase, realizing it's become a, a snake. Then we see this great transition of a snake that has the face of Beetlejuice at the end of it. He knocks down Antho down the stairs and picks up Charles, dropping him to the floor below. He's also about to attack Lydia, and just at the right time, Barb calls out his name three times, teleporting himself back to the, the model city. Lydia blames the couple for doing this and storms off. Adam and Barb go back to confront him, and he says that he inter or he says that they interrupted a professional. He starts talking about Lydia, and Barb picks him up, warning him to leave her alone. He spawns spikes on the body that he, uh, he spawns spikes on his body, making her drop him back to the floor. He started talking about getting some action, and then we see a brothel appear out of nowhere called Dante's Inferno Room. Barb asks why Adam built something like this, and he said he didn't. They quickly get teleported back to Juno's office, and she said it was her. She explains all of their mistakes, and also reveals that the living are re revealing that they have been taken photos of, and also lose the handbook. At the same time, we see this very comical uh, amount of football players who have died, who think that they're her coach. I love this. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great scene. I, I I really love that. Yeah, this is and funny. like once again, even harkening back to uh, to Dante's Inferno and things like that, or in Dante's Inferno room. Um, obviously, that's talking about the Divine Comedy, right? Um, Dante's Inferno, but uh, that goes on another layer of like the layers of hell and so on and so forth. But um, I love how you get a little bit more of Juno out of this too where you kind of get a little bit more of her backstory in a way where um she built that right she built that for for him so she's obviously really powerful um and it's it's interesting because i feel like this is with the whole thing of like sticking with your what you're good at and stuff like that like since um since adam is really good at building and like making making initially worlds in a way because he made his town um I, I, that's that's where i feel like he it, it kind of gave me a little bit of like a peek of like what he can tr kind of transition into where he can also be just as powerful as juno to where he is kind of creating that own world and stuff like that and just being like a world builder um but i don't know that's fantasy type shit so who knows no, no, <laughs> who knows if something anything like that whatever even happened in this but technically there is a beetlejuice 2 coming out which i think is a really bad decision but we'll see oh that's interesting it's not a good idea uh we idea. open up to a different day with delia and charles sitting outside with more additions to the house they discussed that they can make a lot of money and this could also work also said that the big boss is coming and they need to find a way to sell these ghosts. He then says that he knows as much as the supernatural as he does interior design. We transition to Lydia in her room, writing a suicide note. And this is where, like, yeah, David, the heartbreaking part. 
And it's sad. Mm-hmm. She's saying that she will jump off the same bridge. And we cut back to Juno's office and, uh, and they're asked what they're going to be doing to scare the family out. Adam stretches his face and takes his eyes out and places them on his fingers. Barb also takes her eyes out and stretch opens her mouth and puts her eyes towards the back of her throat, towards on top of her tongue. Fuck yeah. Uh, I always put yeah, here, dude. like, the creature design on this is crazy. Ugh. It, it's Beautiful. Iconic. Beautiful. It's so too. scary. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's somebody who follows me on Twitter who has this as their uh, their profile picture. I wish I remembered your name. My apologies. But um, it is fantastic. I've always said that I want... There's two main people, and they're both Tim Burton movies, but there's two main people that I want to do a, um, a couple's uh, Halloween costume. I want to oh, nice. dress up as both Barb and Adam as their, their forms, and I want our daughter to be Lydia. Oh. And then for the uh-huh. other one, I want to be Pee Wee and she be Dottie. And our daughter's going to be the duck. <laughs> so, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. So I, I've <laughs> always, those cute. are my main Can't two that I want to do. And obviously there's a whole bunch. Like we could do Princess and Peach and Toad and all that other shit. But yeah, those are my main ones. My main ones right there. I like it. Uh, Juno gives them their approval and tells them not to forget about the photographs or the handbook. We open back to Lydia in the attic looking for them. She overhears Beetlejuice talking. Uh, they discuss that she wants to be with them and he wants to get out. He says that he can help her if she can say his name three times, but she has to figure out what his name is. They play a quick game of charades and it's hard for her to guess, so he spawns a beetle behind her that says what's up. <laughs> which scares her, but also allows her to get the first part of his name. <laughs> he then spawns an orange juice pouring into a glass. After a few guesses, she finally lands on juice. She says his name, and he starts to get really excited. She then realizes that he was the snake, and he keeps yelling at her to say his name one more time. She refuses and says that she wants to talk to Barbara. We cut back to the couple about to go back with their new looks. Barbara starts to feel guilty and expresses that she wants to live with Lydia. They start to walk in, seeing that Beetlejuice is still yelling at her to say uh, the name one more time. They run at her accidentally, scaring her from their looks. Barbara transforms back to her normal self to try to comfort her and ask her what she's doing. She then says that uh, that he would help her get out, uh, that she would be able to go to the other side to find them. Barbara then says, no, we're dead. And Lydia said that she wants to be dead too, which is really sad. She says that being dead doesn't make things easier. Adam, having trouble going back to his regular form, agrees. Barb shares that they're going to invite her and her family to stay in this house. Then we cut to Otho. I have a theory. Yeah. Absolutely. Sorry to interrupt. I have a theory on that, uh, on why Adam was having a harder time transitioning back versus Barbara. Why? Um, technically she was dead longer than him. And the only reason why I think that is because the whole two hour thing in the beginning, she spent two hours initially figuring out what the fuck was going on. And he technically was only gone for like five Mm -hmm. seconds or two seconds or whatever until she pulls him back in. Um, so to me, I felt, I feel like she's actually more powerful than initially him. Which is why I feel like she was able to get Beetlejuice's name twice and versus him not even be able to get it out once. 
um, and the, towards the end. But that's just one of my theories. Yeah, you could be right. Go on. Thank you. It's a good theory. I, I like to think I am. Otho <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Charles come rushing in, and they start to hide, and they start taking apart the model to bring downstairs. Then we cut to the big boss getting a presentation from Charles about the value of the town. Lydia then explains that they are gone, but they are, or then the boss talks about the ghosts. Lydia explains that they are gone, but they will be happy for them to live with them as long as they're treated and not used. They ask Otho if he can make them appear. He reveals that he has the book and, and needs something personal of theirs. Delia has a look that, or we cut to Delia that looks like she has a, a look that she knows about something and has an idea. We cut to a red candle being lit and also says the wedding clothes. Uh, her wedding dress and his a tuxedo are placed on the table. They all ha- hold hands around the table as he starts the ritual. We cut to the couple in the attic hanging out on the couch. Adam tries to put his hand on top of Barb's but then goes right through it. She begins to disappear right in front of him. We cut back to the table and the wedding dress is getting filled by Barb. She starts to decompose and Lydia asks Otho to stop but he continues. We cut back to Adam starting to disappear and then him reappearing in the suit that was on the table. We look at the couple looking at each other in complete sorrow. Adam grabs Barb's hand and it begins to crumble. Delia is asking what's happening to them and Otho responds, I don't know. As he looks through the book, Lydia says that they're dying. The boss says, they're already dead. And we cut to them looking at each other with despair and Lydia says, look at them. That's not true. They are dying. Charles asks if he can stop this, but he says it's too late. This, I just, I just wanted to add this part. It, I don't know oh, why, but yeah, I was too. getting choked up and I don't know why I've been an emotional wreck <laughs> lately. Um, but Freddie, earlier you mentioned um, in the hallway in the afterlife of the yeah. room of the exercise ghosts and it, it dawned yeah. on me. I was like, mm-hmm. oh man, that's what's happening to them. They, mm-hmm. they could be getting sent there. Um, and that's so sad, I think. But not only that, I, I think it's just like this scene itself says so much. You have these very wealthy people that don't care about others. They only right. care about their own personal motives. And they are clearly causing pain to someone and they're completely dismissive of it. And this can be interpreted in so many different ways and so many different aspects of life. But it's the the more privileged taking advantage mm-hmm. of like the oppressed right and in this in this moment they they have something which is the guidebook to to really be in charge here and, it, and, it, and it's sad because they they clearly don't care delia starts feeling some remorse but clearly um lydia's dad's boss is just like who cares like they're already dead like who yeah, gives right. a crap and about them? to and even sad go a, a little bit deeper on that too it's like they were very um unaware of what they were doing right like they didn't understand that they were performing a seance they didn't understand that they were performing an exorcism during that seance as well so it's it, it's it's one of those things where they were very naive in what they were doing because even when uh i want to say it was it was lydia's dad that i think that said something where it's just like okay like stop now and he was just like, I don't know how kind of thing. And and even when Otho yeah. was kind of going over it and he was realizing like, fuck, I am actually killing these people even more 
than what they already are <laughs> initially. But uh, yeah, and it's th- this scene definitely hits me a little hard because they are so naive and uh one they were more upset that or that guy i I forgot his name the 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 big boss whatever um yeah it was something like like that or something i don't remember how he got so upset that or he was kind of getting upset like or hushing lydia and stuff like that um and then once he realized it was more so like a money thing for him like oh fuck now my money's going away because we're killing these things or killing these people or whatever so yeah. yeah. Asshole. For for real. And it continues to. But Lydia goes to Beetlejuice for help. He says that he could help, but she must do one thing, and that is to marry him. That's just the rules for him to get out. But at the same time, he has no rules. So it's just pretty much his own thing that he wants to do. Uh it cuts back to the yeah, couple. Another thing. Yeah. That is also very cringy and uncomfortable because she is technically supposed to be sixteen. Yeah. And she is, I think she's supposed to be I 16. I thought she was 14. But Regardless, definitely underage. Yeah, either oh, way, it's yeah. still bad. Because <laughs> um, she is still in high school, yeah. and he is technically supposed to be a grown-ass man. But I'm just saying. Uh, it cuts back. Sure. No, really you're funny good. song. Sorry. <laughs> really funny song in the musical that plays on that. And... Um, that's I think excellent. It's <laughs> That's <guys>. right. <laughs> and it talks about how it's funny because it, it kind of sounds like Beetlejuice like possessed young girls to sing about how much young girls actually oh love creepy old guys. <laughs> and Beetlejuice is like, I'm glad I waited. Yeah, and it's it's, just it's really one of the funny. it's actually um, a play on um Oingo Boingo in general. Um because I'm not too sure if you guys are familiar with Oingo Boingo. Are you guys familiar no. with that band? Okay, so Oingo Boingo is the band of Dan El- Danny Elfman. And um, initially, Oingo Boingo is very orchestral, and fl- it's it's very... Uh, gosh, I don't even know how to like really put this, but it, it feels like you're listening to a circus. It's very off the wall. But their songs are absolutely boundary-pushing, uh, where he literally has a song called I Like Little Girls. Which is Jeez. why that's the switch for the other Beetlejuice uh, Broadway song of the opposite. Girls like old men. So it's it's a play on Oingo Bongo. But it's literally the song is like, I like little girls. They make me feel so bad. And it's like things like that. That was very over the top. And it, the, the music is just so flamboyant that some people just kind of wrote it off. It was just like no, this is fun and blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, no, dude, this is sick and gross. <laughs> this is not a good yeah. song. <laughs> Damn. That's disgusting. <laughs> uh, gotcha speechless. So it, it cuts back <laughs> it to is. the couple and they're starting to look worse. Then we're back with Lydia. She begins to say his name three times. And during this, Beetlejuice just grins. And once he hears it the third time, he gives the iconic line, it's showtime. It's showtime. So good. Uh, thunder starts to roar, and the model of the city begins to shake. Then the whole building, or the whole house, begins to shake. Beetlejuice emerges in a full size through the model with a merry-go-round attached to his head. The group goes to investigate, and they look at the model, and they have a great awe on their face of what they see. He begins to move 
the merry-go-round around his head and says, Welcome to Winter River Museum of Natural Greed. The boss and his wife look so amazed and so thrilled. He asks them to test their strength as he unrolls his long arms onto the floor, converting them to these giant arcade hammers. Uh, behind the businessman and his wife, we see that the strength boards appear behind them with the, the bells right on top. He raises his arms up and then it cuts to the couple in glee and puts a spotlight, spotlight on them, revealing that they were about to get ascended by the hammers into the arcade strength test found at carnivals. Lowering his arms, he skyrockets them through the ceiling and then we see Charles and Delia scared while Otto still tries to sneak away. Otto, sorry. So we're just going to ignore the fact that he literally just killed these two people. For sure. I'm like, pretty sure yeah, no, they died. No cops came. Oh, they died for sure. They they made it very clear that people die in this world. <laughs> but it's just like nothing. Like no cops, investigation, nothing. Just the fact that like these two people were there and they flew in the air and probably broke, shattered every bone. It would have been an awesome callback if uh, Beetlejuice would have been sitting there and they would have been sitting next to him. Oh, that would have been great. Like in the uh, yeah, in the waiting in room, like the little waiting room, that would have been awesome. But yeah, <laughs> but hey. that would have been great. Uh, I don't make the rules, guys. Transforms back to himself, saying, "This is why he won't do two shows in one night." <laughs> he knocks down Adam and Barb, saying, "They've got enough <laughs> exercise for the night," which is a play on words, of course. Exercise, exorcism, yeah. Otho still tries to sneak out, and Beetlejuice jumps on his back and says, Not so fast, round boy. We'll have some laughs. Then we see Charles and Delia call out Otho for leaving, and we see the spotlight on him, and Beetlejuice takes some of his clothes away. It embarrasses Otho, making him run and uh, making him run away screaming. Lydia runs to her parents and says, Oh no, Lydia runs to her parents and then he says, Mom, Dad, and runs up to hug them. He then tells them that they are welcome to their house anytime they want to come over. He's, <laughs> just, Dick. Yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> but these are like some like crazy good lines too, but it's sickening of what he means. It's, yeah. Oh, yeah. He starts to say everything is back to normal and it cuts to him wearing a tuxedo for the wedding and says, shall we? Lydia, get, um, Lydia is put into a red dress and is levitated over towards him. He says that he needs witnesses and makes Delia's art structures move and become alive to grab the parents. Adam and Bob are just witnessing everything, but they're also too weak to do anything about it. Beetlejuice opens a portal, allowing a creepy undead priest to come through and start the ceremony, which was a really cool action. Uh, he asks if he... Hey, oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's cool, because I think you brought it up too, like the claymation aspect of look of it yeah. too. So it's it kind of so like good, emerging it both so his live action stuff and his like old um, stop motion stuff like too or claymation. One hundred percent. Yeah, it looks real good. Yeah. Uh, he asks if he. Oh, the priest asks if he takes this woman to be his wife, and he quickly steps to the side to have a conversation with himself about all of the possibilities <laughs> about this, this decision. Uh, when she is asked, she immediately says no and begins to say his name, but he quickly covers her mouth and then possesses her to say the right words. Adam gets his strength back and out, uh, strength out and was about to call out his name, but before he even gets the chance to say his name, Beetlejuice rips his mouth out of his um, 
I guess his head, like his like his teeth. Yeah, his teeth and his like gums, yeah. and they just gets ripped out. Yeah, Beetlejuice, initially it's like it's just like dentures. Exactly, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, uh, Beetlejuice asks to hurry it up and is soon interrupted by Adam's mouth on the ground, still trying to say his name. Beetlejuice begins to stomp around, trying to catch his mouth, and his, and his mouth keeps dodging it as well. He gets the mouth to scram, and Adam tries to rush him, but before he gets to Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice freezes him and says, take a hike, and teleports him back to the model city. We get a cut back to Barb, regaining her strength, and she's able to say his name once. Beetlejuice looks so looks at her and just eeks. And I, I put that this moment was really funny. I laughed pretty hard when he just like eeks. <laughs> like <laughs> so good. And just puts a zipper on her. Like, mouth. She's like, Beetlejuice, eek. <laughs> like, ah! Got me. So good. Uh she uh, Beetlejuice puts a zipper on her mouth. She's able to unzip her mouth really quickly and says his name a second time. That's when Beetlejuice throws a quick fastball at her and lands a metal plate covering the rest of her mouth this time. The priest asks if he has the ring and Beetlejuice begins to freak out. We can see that Adam is trying to use the toy car to get to him. Beetlejuice sees that Barb is trying to get the metal plate off her face and teleports her to Jupiter again. We see the giant sandworm pass her in the background and we cut back to Adam starting up the uh, the model car and begins to drive. Beetlejuice pulls out a finger with a ring on it still out of his pocket and tells Lydia she meant nothing to him. <laughs> it's kind of funny. I, was, I swear to you, honey. I love that joke so much because earlier he was like, I told myself I get married there only once. And then like clearly he, he pulled out an ex-wife's finger and with the ring on it. So he's like, no, she meant nothing to me, babe. I promise. So good. Adam quickly drives off the edge of the model city and then drives the car into Beetlejuice's foot right before the priest can pronounce them man and wife. Everyone starts screaming and the ceiling comes down with a sandworm that Barb is riding on coming through it. She hops off and has the sandworm eat Beetlejuice and goes through the floor. Everyone holds each other and looks at each other smiling as the priest teleports out of the room. And then we fade to black. So we then open up to another day to Miss Shannon's School for Girls, founded in 1890. We see that Lydia exits the school and rides her bike. We cut back to the house with Adam and Barb working on some projects. Lydia walks in and asks, and they ask her if she brought the paint, and she says yes, and also has photos of the new town hall. They are still working on the, the model city. They ask her how her school is and if she's doing, she did good on her math. She stays silent, which makes Adam say, you got to be kidding. We studied all week for this test. She tricks them and says, yeah, she got an A. Then she asks, so can I? Adam responds, I don't know. You got to see on your science test. But they give in. Music starts playing and objects around the room start to dance to the rhythm. We cut to Charles in his office and says, ah, it sounds like Lydia got an A on her math test. Delia comes in with a sculpture of the snake head of Beetlejuice and scares him. Then she says, he likes, he likes it. it. <laughs> we go back downstairs with Lydia dancing. Uh, the camera moves back and we see that Adam and Barb are dancing together as well. Lydia starts to float in midair and continues to dance. We get a nice close-up of her smiling and dancing to the music and singing along. We get a nice camera movement uh, down showing that Beetlejuice is in the waiting room. 
uh, touching some severed bottom half of a person and then gets hit by the other top half of the, the lady that's the magician's assistant. He then proceeds to move in between two more undead souls. He tries to steal someone's number, and the person shrinks his head, and Beetlejuice says, Hey, stop, don't do that, and ends it with, Hey, this might be a good look for me. We cut back to Lydia dancing, and we see some ghost football players appear back in the background, dancing. Then we cut to black, and then credits. That's I love that scene. The end I love that, the movie. all that ending there. It's so, so much fun. So much fun. So what I really like about that is that yep. it shows Lydia happy, right? She's not drowned in black. And not only that, but Barbara and Adam, they, they wanted to start a family. And through death and being ghosts at this, yeah, in their home, they become pater- uh, paternal figures to Lydia. And Lydia gets what she wants. She gets loving parents and her birth parents kind of fucked up. They kind of get to do their own thing, right? I mean, not Here's her birth parents, mom. sorry, her dad and Delia. Um, yeah, but... It's this weird dysfunctional family, but Lydia's mm-hmm. like, well, this is what I am, right? And this is what I want. This is, makes me happy. And it, it, right. it's it's very much a happy ending with with people that became ghosts and their exactly. lives were short change to them, right? So it's it's a it's a cute ending and I enjoy that Same. my favorite part of this yeah, movie I, is I the absolutely ending. love the ending and just how like how fun it is and just it's just it's just super perfect. And I love how Lydia is actually happy and she got the parents she always kind of wanted, it seemed like. And I love that. I absolutely think that is perfect for this. And granted, everyone is in a win-win situation where the dad doesn't really have to be that involved and uh, neither does the mom um, or Delia. They can kind of focus on their own thing, their own concepts and things like that that they want to do. And, And Lydia gets the parents she's always wanted. And I, I absolutely love that. Like, I think that is so, so well done. And it, it, it reminds me a lot of like adoption in a way where right. um, like these kids yeah. are all they want is a family. And that's all she wanted. That's all Lydia wanted was an actual family. Like she just wanted her family to be not normal, but actually just be there, be present and um, not just physically, but emotionally and so on and so forth. But it, it's just everyone kind of got a piece of their pie in a way and i thought that's actually just really really well done exactly yeah. well i got some movie facts Ooh-wee. all right uh, give me some, movie, some, facts, some movie facts, facts. Showtime. Showtime. this is actually michael keaton's favorite film of his own it's kind of cool makes sense <laughs> oh, wow. seems about right he kind of sucks in it, but I, I'm like, not yeah. his acting, but his character that he plays is such a <laughs> character that yeah, sucks. Yeah, that, that's true. It's just pervy and creepy and gross. But damn, that's it, it pro- it's probably because he, 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 well, it's probably because like he was just so over the top and, and like this is, this is not really yeah. tame. I feel like the only other role that he's really over the top like this is Birdman. Yeah. And it, it Birdman's it, great. I'm going to, I'm going to, s- I'm going to say the line. It's the 80s. It's the 80s. (laughs) Forget about it. (laughs) Um, So the the studio was giving out a bunch of joke names for the movie. And Tim Burton came up with the suggestion to call the movie Scared Sheetless. As in bed sheets. Mm. Here's a good one. Michael Keaton ad-libbed 90% of his lines in this movie. Hell yeah, he did. 
Yeah. Uh, also, really Michael Keaton well. playing the title character only appears in the film 14 and a half minutes. Which, yeah, very short. Yeah. And we commented on that earlier, but yeah, I, I, I didn't remember that yeah. being the case, but. Very true. Uh, Tim Burton actually feared the day O sequence scene because he didn't find it very funny, and it turned out that he was wrong, and audience loved it. Which was, uh, and it states says one of the film's yeah, most that's iconic. Like the best, scenes. one of the best moments. I totally agree with Hell yeah! Uh, this was also exactly. Beetlejuice was the very first DVD sent out by Netflix in 1998. That's so fucking cool. <laughs> that's Prince told me so that before cool. the show. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, in the waiting room at the very end of the film, the bottom half of the magician's assistant that was Beetlejuice trying to feel up was played by Tim Burton's, at that time, girlfriend. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. That's uh, and then we, we were talking about like the graphics and stuff like that, too, for the visual effects. The visual effects for this movie budget was only $1 million, million which was a mm. major factor of Tim Burton deciding to make the effects look as tacky and B movie as possible. So oh, that might sure, be the reason okay. why wow. it looked kind of green screen ish. Well, it was like intentional. That. that makes it even fucking cooler. That's really funny. Because it like it, it was all intentional. Like yeah. that God damn it, he thought that through. All right. Yeah. Yeah, I gotta give it to him. I could appreciate Let's that. Because I, I have I have this love hate relationship with uh Tim Burton. Um like I I don't really like I said I don't enjoy any of his modern films too much but I really like his his previous films but Tim Burton does not and like for some reason refuses to just have like black people in his movies I don't know why like it, it's just yeah I I, I no don't like I think I think someone told me that there is an I don't know this for sure I've never looked this information up this is from hearsay but someone told me that it was mainly based off of the fact that he said uh, uh, black people don't look good dead or something like that. Like for Corpse Bride and stuff like that, like it's always a white character. Um, and even in Frankenweenie, hmm. where it, it, it's so it's just super interesting that like he just, I don't, don't I don't know. So I, like I said, I've always had just a, a love-hate relationship with that man. But, you know. I feel that I got uh, Freddie. I wanted I wanted to add yeah. I wanted to add one in there if I could please if you don't mind uh, when Adam and Barbara are in the office a voice on the PA system announces flight 409 is arriving at gate 3 Un, uh, United Airlines flight 409 crashed into a mountain in Wyoming on October 6 1955 killing all passengers and crew aboard at the time it was one of the worst plane crashes in history three plane crashes in 1955 had a total of 66 casualties to this day no one knows why it crashed interesting Damn. Damn. We got a Mr. and a Hang Gang. Uh, <laughs> although the tr- uh, the character's true name is spelled B E T E L G E U S E, they renamed the movie Beetlejuice because it's funnier and it has and it markets better. Which was interesting because when I was watching the movie, I didn't realize it was spelled that way, and I was like, "Wait, why is it called Beetlejuice?" Yeah. Now I see why. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, it's like German. I'll, I'll leave yeah. this last one because uh, I, I feel like it brings it back to the conversation we just had. Originally, Michael Kinney refused the role because he just didn't get it. Eventually, however, he came around after meeting Tim Burton and after seeing Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Fuck. Yes. (laughs) What the shit. 
<laughs> that is a good callback. Ooh, one more that I want to throw sure. in there. Heather L- Lungenkamp was considered for the role of Lydia after Tim Burton saw her in a nightmare, before, a nightmare on Elm Street. Lungenkamp turned the part down because she didn't want to play a goth girl. Oh, good for her. Stand up for what she wants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thought that was really good. Real good. But, of course, uh, I just want to let everyone know. Let us know over on Twitter what you guys think about this movie, Beetlejuice, at Goodnight Life, and that's Night with a K. Our next movie that we're going to talk about next Ooh. month is going to be Paranorman to finish up our little Nightmares Month. But do you guys have any final thoughts? I don't, man. Thank you so much for hosting. This was a lot of, of fun. Course. By all means, let Freddie know over on Twitter, Nudie um, Frederick, right? Is that that's your, that's your Twitter handle? Probably. I think so. It'll be in the show I think notes. that's it. Either way, yeah. it's going to be in the show notes. Um, so let, let us know. Give us feedback. Please. Um, we are having a lot of fun doing this. I had a lot of fun sitting back on this episode, and I'm looking forward to him hosting. Um, so by all means, let us know things that we can change, things that we could do better. Uh, we are more than welcome to open to your feedback. We're, we, we have very tough skin, um, but still be nice. <laughs> <laughs> now go all out. It is. Mine's soft like a easily. banana. <laughs> but this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Freddie, and of course we have Prince. <laughs> Good night, everybody. And of course we also had David. You just gotta say my <laughs> name three times, David. What's our What's our David. also known as? Oh my bad. Also known as Head Knight. And then we also had David, also known (laughs) as Knightley. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) Our efforts to get our show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Reading those five stars is very helpful, but we would love your uh, love you for, to recommend this podcast to someone who would enjoy it. You can further support us at the show over at patreon.com slash goodnight life, and that's night with a K. Uh, pledging on Patreon, you will have access to our show as early as Monday. And if you don't have any bucks to toss us, don't worry. There's a new episode that's released every single Friday on most podcasts' services around the world. And don't forget, everybody, your nightlight. <laughs>